0: Trump using the military to clear peaceful protesters gathered outside the White House so he could stage a photo op.
1: Misinformation.
2: We did not find evidence that the federal agents used CS gas. Feds
1: did not clear protesters for Trump visit.
2: The D.C. police used the CS gas.
3: Demonstrators were pushed out to allow contractors to build a fence, a response to damage done during the two previous nights of rioting.
0: Protesters were aggressively cleared. to Make room for Donald Trump's photo op.
4: Misinformation. Pants on fire.
0: But wait! Biden today addressing the nation. A
4: president using tear gas in order to stage a photo op. New
0: York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Military forces to clear protesters to set up a photo op. Phil Rucker, Washington Post senior Washington correspondent. He
5: had the protesters cleared out by force so that he could go do the photo op.
0: Former aide to the George W. Bush State Department, Elise Jordan. Gassing his own people to clear the way so that he could have a photo op. Politics editor for the Daily Beast, Sam
3: Stein. cleared Lafayette Square to do that photo shoot.
0: Yamiche Alcindor, White House correspondent for PBS News. A president
6: tear gassed myself and others to try to have a photo op. Pastor Michael
0: Durant. To
5: move people in order to get a photo op.
0: The former Democratic Senator our friend Claire McCaskill. America all focused and they saw what happened there. He wanted a photo
5: op. They used um, chemicals to damage people. The president
7: deployed the Secret Service and the Park Police to clear out a square for a photo op. To
0: walk the president over for a photo op and
7: nicole is that he pulled
0: with a photo op the clearing of peaceful protesters to make way for donald trump's photo op using the military on his own people to clear peaceful protesters
2: rated red hot
4: misinformation
0: a seminal moment not just in the history of this presidency but in the history of this country
6: okay people let's begin
8: Lift off, we have lift off Ground control to Jeremy Come in, Jeremy Mr. Marcus Mr. Siegel. We have lift off Lift off Are you ready to be baited? I am With the truth, Jeremy? Some of it (laughs) Well, good, I guess (laughs) Because you're listening to the Truth Bait Podcast it's Tuesday, March 7th, 2023, and this is Episode 5. I was ready with... Oh, my clapping went away. There it is, though. Okay. Very excited. Very exciting. Episode 5, I'm Andrew Marcus, and with me always as we deconstruct America's propaganda war and reconstruct America's culture... This documentary filmmaker, media critic, the one, the only rebel pundit,
9: yes, Jeremy Siegel. Thank you, thank you. Happy to join you, Mr. Brilliant Documentary Filmmaker, yourself, Andrew Marcus. Oh, here, I'll give myself applause. Thank you. Yes. Jeremy, it's actually, it's it's Uh,
8: Let me tell you, first of all, the, the cold open today came from youtube it is from a clip entitled 30 minutes of nicole wallace lying and i thought that would make a very good lead in uh to today's show and maybe every show
9: because uh, the media does lie and people are catching on i kept hearing the same lie being repeated so many times i believe it you uh did you hear that trump uh had
8: uh, innocent americans
9: cleared with yeah. the military had had poor innocent people uh tear gassed what makes me mad the most mad is that he used the tear gas he used the you know military and the the people to go out and tear gas everybody to stage a photo op can you believe he did that a photo op and do you know where that tear gas was manufactured that's right china china does it work?
8: How does he say? He says, China. He always, China. China.
9: Yep. So, um, it Was worked. it even tear them. gas? It was, was. it even tear gas? Because, you know, like I know, we've been in the street before in some of those types of events, and I saw reports several times at events we were at of tear gas being used and i never saw tear gas used i saw pepper spray sprayed yeah but
8: don't you think people use that term interchangeably like they use like they say kleenex even if they're using puffs
9: i think they do i think they use it interchangeably and i think it's a lie well I think tell inaccurate. people what is the difference between tear gas and pepper spray i don't know i i remember tear gas as sort of a You know, something like you use in a war against people and it's in chemical wars and there's all sorts of crimes of humanity you commit when you use it. But now it seems like everybody uses tear gas all the time. But pepper spray, you know, police spray pepper spray out of pepper spray guns. And then, you know, they have their nurses running around, you know, with Antifa carrying milk to wash their faces off with and then they're fine. Doesn't do any long term damage.
8: Oh, it's definitely part of the theater. Yeah, but oh, what, what most people don't realize though is that you know the reason that they cleared in front of the White House was because the leftists were rioting for two days and uh, set the uh, the church. Through, uh, I forget the name of the church. Very important.
9: Uh, uh, it was a big old Catholic church there. But it was
8: important. To, it had something to do with uh, with African Americans. It's uh, important oh, a important right? to slave the ending of slavery or something. I I think it's a black church, maybe anyway, they burned it. Uh, They, they torched it. They, it didn't burn the whole thing to the ground, but they, uh, they did commit arson on the uh, uh, structure across the street from the white house. And so, yes, they thought that might be a prudent time to begin clearing people out. And of course, nobody, it's amazing. Do you know, Jeremy, actually, let's just talk about this real quick. The photo, the photo op that they're talking about Nobody talks about the fact that in the background is the church with all of the windows boarded up because they torched the place. So you have, yeah, a, you have a, burned out, a burned out building behind him, but they're not going to talk about that. They're going to talk about the Bible he's holding up,
9: and it's just a photo op. It's a photo op. It's a photo op. Don't you think he encouraged them to go to that specific place so that he could tear gas them and then take a photo op? Right. I think he secretly is the one who snuck out and burned the church. He's the arsonist. So yeah, I don't know. It's another then, lie, many lies. Um we have by
8: the way, I just wanted you to know our audience is growing, Jeremy. I'm hearing reports that we have uh we're now starting to be passed around on Free Republic and uh
9: other similar sites. Uh Word right? of mouth is growing. It is growing. I very see exciting. the, yeah, I see, I've seen some of the stats too behind the scenes and, uh, it's, su- I mean, it's surprising. I very excited to see how many people are tuning in. I hope we're making people, uh, smarter or, <laughs> or at least, at least opening their eyes to a different perspective on some of these issues. Uh, and so they can see past the lies of all the bloggers. So they can see where they're being baited with lies all the, blo- all the right. bloggers all the bloggers out there telling lies you yes. know what i'm talking about oh. i'm i'm trying to segue again into something here oh have at it where are you going did you know there's a republican state senator in florida who introduced legislation this week uh it's perhaps some of the craziest legislation i've ever heard and I hope has absolutely zero chance of passing. Uh, but this this guy, Jason Brodeur or Brodeur, he's a Republican, wants to create a system in Florida that requires bloggers to register with the state if they write about elected officials. That is fabulous. Oh, wait a second. I want to I want to can I get a job as a monitor? I've been seeing Ron DeSantis marketing Florida as the state of freedom. So what's this what's going on here? Listen to this guy. Listen to this. He's in his car doing an interview with something called Florida's Voice, and it comes in midway through the interview. This is right off of his Twitter page. No,
10: no this is not a free speech issue. It's a transparency issue in electioneering. And so all I'm trying to do is say, treat paid bloggers just like you treat lobbyists. That's it.
8: (laughs) You know what? I think he's got a point because they should treat uh, reporters for mainstream
9: media as lobbyists. Hold on. Let me go back to the beginning here.
10: I think the biggest uh, thing that you pointed out is that it is for only for bloggers who are paid, compensated to influence or advocate on state elections. And this is really to get at an electioneering thing. And perhaps, and I'm open to it, it's maybe even in the wrong place in statute, because what we have out there today is a system by which somebody can pay someone to write a story, publish it online, and then use that in a mail piece as a site source when they're making claims about an opponent. Mm -hmm. And so what we want is we want voters to be able to know you can still do it. That That is a mechanism by which candidates advertise. You can still do it. We just believe the voters have a right to know when somebody is being paid to advocate like lobbyists and so if you believe that we should have a state registry of lobbyists so everybody knows who's trying to influence who what's the difference between a paid blogger who writes about state government or a paid lobbyist who advocates in state government one talks and one writes so (laughs) what's this guy's name
9: jason brodeur
8: see i was i was I was very tempted to um, award you with the coveted distraction of the week award for, for this story when I saw it coming, but now I'm not sure. Maybe now it is just stupidity,
9: stupidity it's, on display. It, it, well, Newt Gingrich tweeted about it. He said he called it insanity. What's I insanity don't even know is that what,
8: anybody's talking about it, Jeremy? Who is I, this guy? I, Did you know how many bills are introduced in a state legislature through any session, and most of them are completely insane?
9: This, this is he- this is narrative warfare. Why'd they do this, Jeremy? Right. So here, so this is a Republican guy, too. I mean, would you? Ex- where do you expect this type of legislation to come from? And this gets into a lot of things with what's going on because i hear lots of republicans advocating for tracking people's behavior and this is one of them who cares who pays a blogger to write it's called the first amendment and 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 that is transparency is is privacy is part of your is part of your privileges that come under the first amendment your right to participate anonymously. You don't, you're you not required to put your name on something to write something critical about the government. Yeah, but again, and do, the you, First do you think Amendment he's is t- Do you think he really means it? I have no idea. This guy's kind, kind of kooky. He's got he says the biggest piece of legislation in Florida's history is something else he is promoting this week about uh, saving the Non-motorized paths through all of the region in Florida, and he's also into promoting renewable energy vehicles and government contracts. So this guy's, maybe oh, he's, he's not, a lefty. He's a lefty. Yes, seems uh, like he's a. Seems like he's floating on the left side of the curve there. Um, well, is 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 Florida that red now that you that the Democrats have to run as Republicans? It might be. It might be. But if you write about it, you're going to get fined if you don't report who paid you to write <laughs> it about it. It is never going to pass.
8: <laughs> I, see, to me, it's, it's, when I when I heard about this story, it struck me as somebody's just looking to embarrass DeSantis. And I, I figured you could probably trace the money
9: back to Trump <laughs> to, to pay, <laughs> pay to have this piece of, of legislation floated. <laughs> yeah, you might be right about that one. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's certainly, no, it's never going to pass. But it's just... It's ridiculous because this kind of thing does plant the seed. I've had arguments with lots of Republicans who favor when you make a political donation, your donation being tracked. And that's something that we have in law in this country, and, and it shouldn't be. You should have a right to give a candidate $25 or $100 to run their political campaign without your name being attached to it. Oh, we have to know who's influencing who. No, it's ridiculous. Look at how they do things. So you have a right to participate in political campaigns without your name being attached to every single action you take regarding that campaign. And a lot of Republicans advocate for that. They want to know where the money's coming from or whatever. And I disagree with that, same way I disagree with here. And that's what he's talking about. He's comparing it to lobbying behavior. You know what? I don't even care about that. You don't need to tell me about who's paying who. Let's just figure out if it's right or wrong. If they're doing something wrong, unelect them. Amazing how that could
8: work. It's an idea so crazy, it just might work. Well, I agree with you, but now I'm not going to give you distraction of the week because that was – it's not – yeah, it's not my distraction of the week. It's yeah, not your big contention enough. is it's not, it's not a distraction.
9: It's not. No, I think it's. I think it's to start putting it out there and. uh I bet you see more people. They look. They've been talking about going after bloggers f- since we were blogging. You ever been a blogger? See, you were this, a blogger. Should, this should. You were a founding
8: blogger. I was a founding blogger. <laughs> uh, this should. This should. Uh, Jeremy's re- uh, referring to a website I launched uh, many, many, many years ago called Founding Bloggers, uh, which was a very fun endeavor, but didn't last. Uh, Jeremy, this segment should have uh, actually been put under Election Update. That's where we should have put this, perhaps, because I think that's election warfare happening. Um. well okay so it's a cross between election 24 and a distraction but your point stands for certain I agree with you it's craziness
9: I mean you, perhaps we should require the news companies to put out lists of you know everybody they take money from when they write about campaigns
8: well that's what I was saying I'm actually I might be in favor of having mainstream journalists working for these corporations register as lobbyists I mean that's Seems to be how they operate. All right. And I need to come up with a chime. That's the first time I think in this episode I said, I mean, I'm trying to break myself of that. Get the shock collar, Jeremy. Thank you. Yep, that's one of them. Um, Well, I do have a real distraction. Do you want to hear? Did you hear about the issue with toxic masculinity and the second gentleman, Doug Emoff, speaking out against toxic masculinity? No, but it sounds awful. Here he is with MSNBC's Jonathan Capehart uh, sitting down for an intimate interview. This is, the, this is how they describe it. Jonathan Capehart sits down for an intimate interview with second gentleman Doug Emoff to discuss toxic masculinity. Now, let me ask you, Jeremy, in that description, do you sense any masculinity at all, toxic or otherwise? Jonathan is going to sit down for an intimate interview with Doug. There's no masculinity going on here already. (laughs) It sounds toxic. (laughs) All right. Here, this is, uh, yeah, here's the clip. Everybody's talking about this.
10: Can we just talk about masculinity for a moment? Um, Has being second gentleman changed your own view of perceived gender roles or what it means to be a man?
11: Whew, that's, this is something I've, I've thought about a lot and something I've spoken about a lot. There's too much of toxicity, it, it's masculine toxicity out there. And there, it, we've kind of confused what it means to be a man, what it means to be masculine, where you've got this trope out there that you've got to be tough and you know, angry and, and lash out to be strong. I, it's just the opposite. You know, strength is how you show your love for people. Strength is how you are for people and how you have their back and how you you stick up for other other people and pushing up, pushing out against bullies. I mean, that's what I believe it is. So every time I can speak against t- this toxicity, I, we're seeing it with our younger people. We're seeing it in our discourse and our politics in the media. You're seeing it as it relates to. To so many of the issues that we're we're pushing back on. So um I think it's a problem and I'm gonna continue to use this platform every time I get to to speak out against this toxic masculinity that's out there.
8: Oh
9: thank you. (laughs) Thank you for helping us with the toxic masculinity. You know, he did call it masculine toxicity. In the report? In that in the the middle of that. Yeah. He called it. it yeah, he called it masculine toxicity, which sounds more accurate. Jeremy both
8: of these men have not only defeated so-called toxic masculinity they've vanquished all masculinity <laughs> you have to you have to see this clip first of all Jonathan Capehart couldn't be any more diminutive and effeminate okay he's sitting in this chair he looks like a little kid he must be maybe he's 4 feet tall i don't know i've no idea how tall he is but he looks very very tiny in in this interview you're making me uncomfortable. In this in this intimate interview, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he sounds like a child. J- J- Jonathan, K when he's asking the question. I mean, again,
10: listen listen to this. Can we just talk about masculinity? Can we just
8: talk about masculinity? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't, let's talk about
10: it. Yeah. And I mean and Doug
8: Doug's got some bizarre ideas of masculinity. He said the tropes of being tough angry and lashing out. Where did he learn that that is masculinity?
9: Yeah, I don't know. He didn't. This is a guy that's married to Kamala Harris, right? Yes, that's correct. He's the second gentleman, the second gentleman that's toxic or masculine toxicity. Yeah.
8: Well, okay. So he, (laughs) wait, he says that the tropes of, of masculinity are tough. Angry and lashing out again, right? But so does that. So, n- and then he says he's the opposite. <laughs> okay. So I guess I can understand the opposite of, you know, he's not angry and he's not lashing out. So, it, but, but if you, if you just recap that, he, he means that masculinity is being weak, happy, and reserved. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's a man today. <laughs> you have to be weak at, and, and being weak will make you happy. Uh, and if you're happy, you will be reserved.
9: It seems like there's a toxic masculinity in this whole form of oppression against good masculinity. Mm-hmm. Against qualities that that, you know, people who you know, my opinion of masculinity is you know, is not those things that he described it's you know people with good leadership qualities take care of their families they're good husbands they're good fathers they're providers you know they're good stewards of their uh, resources and their government they work and take care of their community those are you know examples of good strong masculinity what what yeah but if, and if the, a woman the, the did those things it would be good femininity but
8: yeah but hold it Jeremy, Jeremy hang on a second Jeremy, Jeremy. Hold on. <laughs> Back up for a second. Why, we, why would we even discuss this on its merits? You're buying into their terminology and their entire definition by even even trying to debate it. Okay? And, and uh, frankly, I don't think it's our job as podcast hosts to teach people what positive masculinity is. I think it's our job to point out if you... Divided anybody like this, if you described femininity this way on national television, if you sat down with the president of the United States and said, let's talk about toxic femininity, that would be a non-starter. All stop. That would be, there'd be no conversation
9: about it. You can't do this with anybody else, but with men, you can do this. You can just abuse us. What you just described sounded great. Could you imagine if... Somebody sat Trump down to talk about toxic femininity right, right. <laughs> This is a great idea. Oh well, so by the way, since you mention it,
8: that's what this is all about. I originally thought that this was just a distraction, and it is it's a it's a red meat distraction everybody everybody's going towards it. we're going towards it, but to point out that it's a distraction, but really, what this is it's a swipe at Trump. they're terrified of him. And they have no idea what to do to stop him. And so they are just getting out there with the branding of toxic masculinity because Trump is masculine. They see Trump as masculine. And they're terrified of him.
9: Toxically masculine. He's toxically masculine. Or I think masculine-y. this is all just an attack on Trump. That's all this is. He's masculinely toxic. <laughs> That I think we have a show title.
8: <laughs>
9: uh, yeah, good times, good times in Washington D.C. So I don't know. Do you think it's a distraction, or do you think it's do you think it is just a a hit piece on Trump, or can it be both? I don't think it's distraction. I think you're right that it's it's in preparation for. The inevitability that Trump will be the nominee and it'll be part of the narrative warfare that is constructed around the opposition to him and what we see come out of media reports uh probably for the next two years. It's a it's a preview. There's going to be, you know, toxic masculinity on everybody's mind. And it's going to be a reason why you shouldn't support him. So I don't think it's a distraction. I think it's it's narrative building.
8: Yeah, you know what? Those I'm sitting here thinking about it once again. It should have been in the election <laughs> election twenty four update.
9: <laughs> Maybe everything should. <laughs> well,
8: it definitely is. It's a it's it's election narrative. That's that's really what it is. I thought it was more of just a distraction, and I thought it was like a light story to lead with. But in reality, it is part of the election. Well. All right, well, a a second tease for the Election 24 update, which is coming soon on this very podcast. Today. Uh, Okay, so you and I might be in disagreement on this one. I know you think this is a giant distraction. You might be right, although I have a slightly different theory. Ladies and gentlemen, and my co-host, Jeremy, I am, of course, talking about the January 6th videos being presented exclusively By elite journalist, Tucker Carlson. Did you watch Tucker Carlson's segment last night, debuting the first night of the January 6th videos that he has exclusive access to?
9: Relating to the last election.
8: Relating, well,
9: and still to the next election, frankly, if you think about it.
8: But did you watch it? Did you watch his episode last night?
9: I didn't watch the episode, but I have uh, watched a couple clips seen a couple clips of it and i've seen a couple arguments uh coming out of some of the other media entities criticizing it what did you find interesting about it
8: well i watched through the episode which i never do i don't really love watching through entire cable news show episodes but i did for you and for our listeners i know a lot of people like tucker but i uh Let's put it this way. This show has me watching more media than I have ever watched before. Same
9: so I here. watched Tucker for you. But I don't have cable news, so I couldn't watch it. I just watched <laughs> You the know, clips maybe on this YouTube is why we're doing later. this show together. You can't do
8: this show without me because you don't have television. <laughs> no, I
9: need you to watch it and then find out the important stuff and bring it to me and I'll talk about it with you.
8: all right fine (laughs) (laughs) whatever role i can have that's fine so uh yeah uh tucker uses the footage he's been given exclusive access and he uses the footage to blow a massive hole in the established narrative surrounding january 6th and i guess you can debate whether or not you know is anything going to come of this? Which is tend, tends to be when we think of it as a distraction because nothing's going to come of it. But I do think that there is utility here, and uh, you know, I'll just let me just describe in the in the first installment, he uh, he plays footage that really exposes the disconnect between what the so-called Qanon shaman was accused mm-hmm. of. You remember the guy who was wearing the the Q shaman, the, the Q shaman, yeah. exactly. Uh, uh, very popularized uh, as a result of the events on January sixth, he was wearing a, a you know like a vel- a Viking helmet with horns. Uh, most people know who he is, and so uh, the footage really it, it, like i said it exposes the difference between how what he he did that day was portrayed in the media and how he actually uh, uh, was behaving that day he was most people don 't know this. He was escorted around the Capitol, inside the Capitol, by Capitol Police. And in fact, they helped him get into the Senate chamber. He only got into the Senate chamber because Capitol Police escorted him there. So that's a that's 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 pretty amazing. And so the the a debate erupts basically about: well, what is the tactic here? Why are they escorting why did they open the building for people? Why did they let people in? And here is Miranda Devine. Uh, uh, Tucker brought on Miranda Devine to talk about uh, what they're calling the tactic of de-escalation—that's what they say they were doing.
5: Well, clearly, the Capitol Police, none of them—you you have nine or ten officers there—do not think that there is anything unusual about this guy with the fur hat and the Viking horns and the face paint wandering around the corridors and walking into the then, you know, Senate chamber that had been evacuated. Um, what we hear from the Capitol Police—they tell us—is that they were trying to de-escalate uh, the crowd, de-escalate any unrest. And so perhaps that's what they were doing. They were completely outnumbered. I don't really blame the Capitol Police. All they were trying to do was keep people calm and happy. They were betrayed by Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell, who refused the the repeated requests by the Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sund in the days before and several times on the day of January 6th for backup for National Guard. That is the most inexplicable part of this story.
8: Okay, so let's unpack that. On one hand, I kind of agree that if you have a mad crowd coming at you and you're looking to not have a violent confrontation and you're outnumbered, so a a confrontation isn't going to help you, I actually can understand the tactic of letting people through a barrier in order to not let it become a flashpoint where you get crushed I have a, a shred of sympathy and understanding for that tactic but think about this uh, Yeah, if you really fear an armed insurrection because that's how they portrayed it would you really open the doors to give a walking tour access to the senate chamber in order to de-escalate? no, no. way no. No way. No chance in the world you would only do that if you were convinced that these were not
9: violent people. No. And if it was a real insurrection, you would have fought against it and given your life to save the republic. <laughs>
8: right, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Jeremy,
9: was, <laughs> would you would you de-escalate an arson by letting an arsonist into the building? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't buy that at all. I get the f- sense as I saw that clip of him walking around and being escorted around that there was somebody sitting inside. Maybe it was Nancy Pelosi's daughter directing her uh, documentary film that day, instructing the police, "Let this guy go. This is going to be a great shot. Let him let him get inside the Senate there, and then we'll get a great we'll get a great image of him standing there and." Uh, I think they were being directed. And that's how I always think about the DC police. Jeremy, uh uh the house is flooding. Quick, open the front door. Yeah, let the water in. <laughs> let
8: the water in. We have to de-escalate <laughs> the flood. Uh
9: you're getting no, Jeremy, you're getting it.
8: you're getting fat. We need to de-escalate your waistline. Quick, open your mouth. I have some Oreos for you. <laughs> Swallow
9: that pizza. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Nope, I don't buy that one. I don't buy that one at all. Well, the real newsmaker
8: of the night wasn't even that part. The 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 really interesting part was
9: revolving around Officer Sicknick. Do you do you remember the story about Officer Sicknick? Yeah, he, he was a guy that he was a cop there and he died the next day. He was murdered by the protesters who who
8: smashed his head with a fire extinguisher. Okay. And then he died the next day. Okay, from being murdered the day before. Yeah, no, it it, it didn't. Uh, that narrative was heavily propagated, but I think even the New York Times walked it back. But that you know they walk it back by the time.
9: So did they hit him in the head with a fire extinguisher? I don't think true? so. As
8: I'm looking at the footage, Jeremy, I don't think he was hit by a fire extinguisher at all. It's a little bit different, difficult to ascertain exactly what is happening it's a big crowd there's a lot of motion but as i go through it step by step i don't think he was hit by a fire extinguisher i think he was hit by a baton probably wielded by one of his fellow officers so See, i think thing, that's
2: the head injury he took
9: the thing
2: Look well, here let me let more, me play let me play clips? their clip yeah. on it yeah january 6th they said was a deadly insurrection. There was a deadly insurrection that the right wing is trying to cover up. He incited a deadly insurrection.
1: Incited a deadly insurrection. The violent,
2: deadly insurrection on the Capitol nine months ago was about white supremacy in my view. A deadly insurrection. Everything about that phrase is a lie. Very little about January 6th was organized or violent. Surveillance video from inside the Capitol shows mostly peaceful chaos. But the slogan worked. The term deadly carries enormous emotional power, which is why they used it. To prove the insurrection was deadly, propagandists pointed to the death of an officer called Brian Sicknick. The mob killed Officer Brian Sicknick. That's what they said. It was their single most powerful indictment of the January 6th protesters and of Donald Trump and of Republican voters nationally. They repeated that claim for years. They are still repeating it. At first, they told the country that Officer Sicknick was murdered with a fire extinguisher. Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the fight. That story came from the New York Times, which is effectively the assignment editor for most of the rest of American media. It was a lie, untrue in any way. But only after that lie had hardened into conventional wisdom did the newspaper bother to retract it.
12: The New York Times has quietly retracted its story about the death of Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick.
2: The damage had been done. Brian Sicknick, himself a Trump voter, had been transformed without his consent into a political martyr of the left. His memory was shamelessly exploited by the incoming Biden administration. In February of 2021, Sicknick's body lay in state in the Capitol Rotunda, where a parade of unscrupulous politicians made use of it. Here's Joe Biden.
4: Breaking down the doors, trying to overturn an outcome of election, and killing several police officers in the meantime.
2: But Brian Sicknick should not be reduced to a prop for the political ambitions of the Democratic Party. He was a human being. The facts of his life matter, including how he died. To this day, media accounts describe Sicknick as someone who was, quote, slain on January 6th. The video we reviewed proves that is a lie. Here is surveillance footage of Sicknick walking in the Capitol after he was supposedly murdered by the mob outside. By all appearances, Sicknick is healthy and vigorous. He's wearing a helmet, so it's hard to imagine he was killed by a head injury. Whatever happened to Brian Sicknick was very obviously not the result of violence he suffered at the entrance to the Capitol. This tape overturns the single most powerful and politically useful lie the Democrats have told us about January 6th. And it was indeed a lie. The January 6th committee knew perfectly well that Brian Sicknick was walking normally through the Capitol after he was supposedly murdered by Trump supporters. And they know that because they saw this tape. We can be sure because the footage contains an electronic bookmark that is still archived in the Capitol's computer system. That means that investigators working for the Democratic Party reviewed this tape. They saw it, but they refused to release the tape to the public. Why? Because this tape would shatter the fraud they were perpetrating on the country. Because hiding the truth served their political interest. They lied about the police officer they claimed to revere. If they were willing to do that, then their dishonesty knew no limits.
8: So that was, I think, the most devastating thing that came out of the first night. The... Fact that this was a blatant lie, they had to have known it was a lie. They did know it was a lie. And they ran with it anyway because they needed to. And did you hear Biden? They killed multiple officers.
9: And did you know that that Sicknick was a Trump supporter, that he was a Trump voter? I didn't know that, but that makes me think it was another D.C. cop that smashed him over the head, not one of the Trump people.
8: Well, that's I'm saying he was he was hit with a baton. I think the footage shows he was hit with a baton, and that means that it would have been one of his fellow officers, and that might be embarrassing uh, for them. But meanwhile, and Tucker is saying that nothing, no injury he uh, experienced that day led
9: to his fatality.
8: I don't know. That's I think that gets into a gray area. Yeah, Yeah.
9: I mean, I don't know if you could say that because, I mean, people sometimes get injuries and then have problems with them later, but you would think if he was wearing a helmet, that would protect him. Meanwhile, the
8: guy is a real hero. Sicknick is a real hero, and I'll tell you why. Because even after he is caught in this melee outside, he then finds his way back inside, and what does he do? he continues to attempt to secure the capital. He's m- moving debris. He's directing people into a different direction. He is doing his job. And they took his memory and his corpse and they completely defiled it for their own uh, completely dishonest ends. And that is Tucker's right. If they will lie about that just imagine what else they're lying about there's nothing they won't lie about now thomas massey comes on and i'll and i'll wrap out with with thomas massey because he really raises the i think i think that he exposes what is actually happening here and again i know you have voiced before that you believe that the,
9: the release of these tapes is a giant distraction do you do you still feel that way it It's not so much that I feel it's a distraction. I don't think anything's going to happen because of it, and I think it's more narrative reinforcement. So... From what I've seen, the bulk of the clips released so far, Tucker spends most of his time talking about how peaceful everybody is. And we're having that debate of whether or not it was a peaceful protest or an insurrection. We're not talking about who the, you know, who orchestrated it, who was behind it, who were the people that were smashing the window. Cause there were really people there that were smashing windows to break into the building. Absolutely,
8: and and it's a terrible debate to have because, you know, images don't lie. There clearly was violence going on uh, outside that building. It's Yeah, it's more a matter of who was doing it, and that's why I like Thomas Massey's appearance because he gets to it, and, and you know, people are upset about the fact that Tucker Carlson has this exclusive access, and frankly, it bothers me too, that, that it creates this elitism, this media elitism, and now Tucker is... The ultimate media elite, because he can have access to this footage. However, after watching Thomas Massey, I have a different idea about what's going on. Watch, watch, listen to the segment. We need a
3: complete catalog of all of the feds who were there. Tell us right. who they were. Let's exactly. go, let's watch the videos and let's see what they did, because there's some really strange behavior uh, uh, on those videos of people behind the police lines in plain clothes, like touching them on the shoulder, talking in right. their ear, walking up, you know, around boundaries as if they weren't even there. It's very odd.
2: It's very clear from the footage that our producers bravely slog through for three weeks, and God bless them for doing it, that that's exactly right, that federal agents encouraged the violence that day. We just, we're just we just a TV show, and we, we can't show people without proof um, of who they really were. But I right. agree with your assessment completely. That obviously happened.
8: Poor Tucker. He's just a TV show. A powerless <laughs> TV show. What's he going to do? I think that's... I think I think Tucker's point is silly. I think Thomas Massey's point is exactly right. And it is the real question. Everything else is a sideshow. The only question that really, really matters is what were the feds doing? How many were there? What were they instigating the events that were taking place? And I think we all know the answer to that. So we're just waiting for hard the evidence.
9: Whole, the whole thing was an op and that's never going to come out or be admitted by the government or anyone in it. It doesn't have to be admitted for everyone to realize it though.
8: And I think that's all we
9: have at this point is just getting people to realize. But I think that that does get into the way that things rolled out. And, the fact that you had Which all things of, you're talking about the way all that, of these narratives and the videos, from the, going back to the beginning of it, from calling it an insurrection, okay. and releasing videos and showing you're not talking Q- about the release of these videos.' You're talking I'm saying about. this is part of it. Yeah. I'm saying that this is part of overwhelming the people with thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of information. That it muddies the waters from ever getting to the bottom of anything. I kind of disagree with you. I normally would agree with you, except on this, this just now completely
8: discredited the January 6th committee, I think beyond repair, because they clearly were burying exculpatory evidence regarding their narrative that the the protesters murdered Officer Sicknick. And it shows that they don't even have their facts straight. There's
9: no there's no visual of him being hit with a fire extinguisher. But who's gonna see that? Because the rest of the media is out there, just you know, talking about how this is all selectively edited footage now, and ah, it's just a back and forth.
8: See, now you're getting, now you're getting at it, uh, and I think that this is what is is behind just giving the footage to Tucker. Let me play this last clip, and I'll explain.
3: And ha- my hats off to your producers for sitting over there and going through hours of this. Yes, but I
8: so
11: brave. They're so brave. <laughs> They're I would love
3: to. You know, to unleash the resourcefulness of the American public on these videos, I think they should be released. You know, I think it's poppycock that they can't be released because of some security issues. Look, I'm the one who's supposed to be secured by these buildings, and I'm not worried about releasing them. They need to be released. In fact, there was a Rasmussen uh, poll that just came out that showed over 80 percent. 78% of Democrats and 86% of Republicans say that all the videos should be
8: released. Okay, so that is what's really happening here. The reason that they gave these videos exclusively to Tucker is so that it would create a groundswell of demand to release the footage. Now, even people on the left who up until this moment have been saying, you can't release all this footage, that's damaging to our democracy. They they even now are going to turn on a dime now that Tucker has had his access and is now shaping the narrative exclusively according to his access. Now everyone is going to demand access to that footage and McCarthy is going to be able to release that footage because everybody's demanding it. If he just released it, instead of just giving it to Tucker, if he released it to everyone in the world, then the narrative would be, oh, my, how irresponsible of you. You're risking the people's lives, the Capitol Police. And now what he's going to be able to do is say, oh, well, okay, if everybody's demanding I release the footage, well, okay, here you go. And it diffuses Uh, that narrative entirely.
9: I don't think we're going to see it all released. And I think part of the thing here was by giving it to Tucker, you set up the expectation, a false expectation that some, that because it's Tucker and because Tucker is sort of this, you know, he's, the, he's presented as, as the voice of MAGA, at least on Fox news. And a lot of You know, America first MAGA type people do like Tucker, and oftentimes he is witty and entertaining and does give great rundowns of things that are happening. Uh, I believe he's still controlled opposition and... By hit by it going to Fox News and it going to Tucker, you set up a false expectation in the minds of everybody seeking justice. And they've gone through this whole rigmarole for so long now, and now finally you've got the golden goose. Tucker has got the footage. As long as it doesn't get taken out of the back seat of his car somewhere, we're gonna get our justice. And we're not. And there's not going to be justice. And the reason for that and the reason that you set it up this way and to create this false expectation of hope is it's a demoralization campaign. And it is to demoralize the people so that every time something like this happens and your hopes are based on all of these false premises and pseudo realities, you become demoralized and you become unable to fight in an effective way, and you shut down. Eventually, you shut down. All right, well, that
8: is... We're going to just consider my take the optimistic take, and your take is the dark cloud take. And I hope you're wrong. <laughs> and unfortunately, and we're unfortunately, consider unfortunately my you're take right too often. Realistic take.
9: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I think hey, look, it- I do. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're right. I hope they give the footage to everybody. But I don't think it's going to happen. Well, even, even if they if give the does, footage to everybody, there still may be if it does, no results. I think we have fatigue. I think people have fatigue. I think people who 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 want to believe that it was an insurrection are going to continue to believe it was an insurrection and the people who, but if you, you know, can, if they can establish and they can expose FBI and other federal agents
8: on the ground instigating and you see it on footage, how is that not a bombshell that is absolutely uh, moves the ball?
9: Well, Have you heard of Yuri Bezmenov? No. He was a Soviet defector. He explained it, uh, saying, the moment you bring a country to the point of almost total demoralization, when nothing works anymore, when you're not sure that it's right or wrong, good or bad, and when there's no division between evil and good, when even the leaders of the church sometimes say um, that uh, you could take people and show them concentration camps, and they won't believe that it's real. They'll deny what they're looking at. Jeremy, I'm sorry, but what you're saying is that we
8: shouldn't even bother to know and confirm who these FBI agents are or the other. Federal no, I think we should. So, no, I think we should. So there's I think utility we should in this. Be a,
9: yes, totally. I think, but I, I think we should be aware of the way things are, how they're rolling out to us, and looking at well, all maybe of because if you're demoralizing people right now, <laughs> you are the one that's doing it. <laughs> no, I'm trying to set people's expectations up properly and to understand what we're looking at and i don't think we're going to receive justice from tucker carlson having these videos to release uh i
8: in 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 general i agree with you we're not going to find our salvation uh or justice from tucker carlson my only point about the strategy of what they're doing is is just a way of mccarthy being able to release the footage without being caught up in the narrative of whether or not that was wise for him to do. He gets everybody to demand it. So it's just a, it's a media strategy.
9: I do think if there are more representatives like Thomas Massey, who I do think is very good, generally speaking. And, uh, and we call Congress, we call our representatives and demand that they support him and take the same approach to what should be investigated here. and, turn it from defending the so-called insurrection as an insurrection as a peaceful demonstration and actually look to uncovering what type of operation was going on here because there were certainly intelligence agencies involved in it there were politicians involved in it there was law enforcement agencies involved in it. Maybe uh, and, you would, and this may maybe be the first get,
8: step to getting there, maybe. Or it's the but, first but step down can't to rely the next
9: on end. End. <laughs> You can't rely on Thomas Massey. You've got to get on the phone, and you've got to show up in these people's faces and tell them what you expect them to do. Absolutely. Very good, very good point. Uh, all right, well, let's
8: move on. I think we've, we've, we've discussed that enough. And there's going to be more to come. That was only the first night.
9: So stay tuned, everybody. I have a lighter note. What is your lighter note? On a lighter note, did you know there's a new podcast? Yes, the Truthbait podcast. No, not the Truthbait podcast. We're five podcast. episodes a, old every, every Tuesday and Friday without fail. There's a newer, to the best of our ability, but there is a newer podcast. It comes out today. What podcast is that? I'm scared. It's called <laughs> It's called The Light.
8: Oh, it sounds dark. It, it's <laughs> what called is the it? light.
9: <laughs> it sounds dark. <laughs> it's the new Michelle Obama podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's bad news. <laughs> yeah, this oh. is this is a, a lighter note. She, so? It's been, already out. It started came dropped today. The new Michelle Obama podcast, and I have a clip. <gasps> Oh, of we're going to
8: put her on the podcast? I guess we have to. We have to deconstruct. All
9: right. Here we go.
6: After the inauguration, and we know whose inauguration we were at... That day was so emotional on so many different reasons. We were leaving the home. We had been in for eight years, the only home our kids really knew. Um, They remembered Chicago, but they had spent more time in the White House than anywhere. So we were saying goodbye to the staff and all the people who helped to raise them. There were tears. There was that emotion. But then to sit on that stage and watch the... The opposite of what we represented on display. There was no diversity. There was no color on that stage. There-
9: this clip is is has been used now to promote the new podcast that launches today. And she's I feel like have talking, talking about this before, right? So, the, and she's talking about the inauguration of Donald Trump. I think there's a reason that this is a clip that they're using to promote the podcast with.
6: After the inauguration, and we know whose inauguration we were at.
8: Inauguration.
6: That day was so emotional on so many different reasons. We were leaving the home we had been in for eight years, the only home our kids really knew. Um, they remembered Chicago, but they had spent more time in the White House than anywhere, so we were saying goodbye to the staff and all the people who helped to raise them. There were tears. There was that emotion, but then to sit.
8: Yeah. Don't you, I mean, I, I, she's connecting with me personally. Don't you remember when you when you had to say goodbye to the staff that helped raise your children?
9: Yeah, right. That is a very common experience all of us go through as parents. I know. Well, anyways, why don't you continue to see the light here? Uh, so I'm sorry, something's happening with my playback, and it went back that time to the beginning of the clip rather than where we left off. So hopefully I'm coming back at the right moment here.
6: Chicago, but they had spent more time in the White House than anywhere. So we were saying goodbye to the staff and all the people who helped to raise them. There were tears. There was that emotion. But then to sit on that stage and watch the the opposite of what we represented on display. There was no diversity. There was no color on that stage. There was no reflection of the broader sense of America. And many people took pictures of me, and they, like, you weren't in a good mood. No, I was not. (laughs) But you had to hold it together like you do for eight years, and then you walk through the Capitol, you wave goodbye, you get on Marine One, and you take your last flight off flying over the Capitol, where there weren't that many people there. We saw it.
8: Yeah, because they were blocking the entrances.
9: <laughs> right. <laughs>
8: preventing people we from were there. Uh, uh, uh,
9: having, enjoying their First Amendment right to assemble. Yeah we were there we were uh, i was you were inside i was outside there were a lot of people there <laughs> and yeah they shut down the entrances and didn't let people get into the mall they had and the blockades. dc police helped with that shutdown and the dc too. police aided and abetted and helped them shut down people's first amendment rights we have footage of it we've released footage of it on gateway pundit um it was, it was really an unbelievable day the way everything rolled out. But she goes on.
6: By the way. And then we went to Andrews Air Force Base, said goodbye to the military, got on Air Force One, and when those doors shut, I cried for 30 minutes straight. Uncontrollable sobbing. Because that's how much we were holding it together for eight years.
9: Uncontrollable, sobbing. I had you didn't
8: know I had audio of that.
13: <laughs>
8: that's Michelle Obama, her? everybody. Do
9: you believe her?
8: Not a word out of her mouth. She so why are they dropping this, Jeremy? Is she running? Uh, she was the world clamoring for the Michelle Obama
9: podcast. I can't tell if she's going to run or not, but it certainly seems like it's designed to put people into that mind frame of fear that she is, which doesn't actually cause me any trembling because I really don't think she's that popular nor is she as popular as her husband was. I think they might think that she is, and she might be with some of the the base. She doesn't need to be popular.
8: (laughs) Jeremy uh, President uh, eighty one million votes Biden didn't need to be popular to to win. She doesn't no, but need he's to be popular 81 either. Million, he's still got eighty one
9: million. But still got eighty one million votes. You know, that hey, was the most safest and secure election. Yeah, those votes are
8: transferable. She can have them too, <laughs> with the right price. Uh, no, I I, have, I suspect that she is. They're positioning her potentially to take over for Kamala. They're going to kick Kamala to the curb. They're going to position her as the vice president, and then they will run for office in 24 together, and everyone will vote for for Biden uh, because they are will make the assumption that really they're voting for uh, a fourth, Michelle, a, four, a fourth Obama term. I'm going to say
9: no chance to that. No chance that that's what they're doing or no chance that it'll work? No chance that that's what they're doing. Ah, How many times are you like gonna be the, wrong I, on the same I, I podcast? I like the theory. Jeremy? I like it. I think it's an interesting theory. I don't. No way. She hate. I don't. She was always so miserable when she was in there. You think she wants to go be a vice president right now? Why it's does she want to start a
8: podcast completely based on it?
9: I think Why? She's, anything, like she's going to be living it with that podcast. I listened to the trailer of the podcast. To me, either she is going to run. They're trying to scare the run, or they're just going to use her as a way to communicate to people and try to keep drumming up support for Biden that way. Uh, but do you, no, you think they can really be, run Biden Kamala
8: in in its current form? You think that? Do you think that they are going to let that be the ticket
9: going into twenty four? I think they can. Yeah, can. But will they? I think and they I have think to the be looking for Kamala- any off ramp. They can. And, and here is the thing: If you are Biden, are you going to let? Michelle be your vice president because there's a reason Obama let Biden be his vice president because you, you think wouldn't give letting anything <laughs> Biden is not in control of anything I think it's Barack Obama's administration perhaps but there's why are they using him. Because he is, they're
8: able to destroy everything and blame it on him. Everybody focuses on Biden as the villain. Nobody's focusing on, focusing on the fact that Obama is the villain.
9: So you keep him there, and you don't want to put Michelle in there. For sure you that. do. Sure you do, because he isn't going to last. If you just run the actuary tables,
8: he is not going to make it through a second term. Well, then you just run her. Well, but you can't run her because she's not popular enough. He's affable. He they can they can plausibly say he won because they plausibly said he won already. He's the safe ticket in. That's her way into the presidency without ever being elected. He she doesn't even have to be elected vice president. She'll get in. They'll they'll just appoint her. They'll move Kamala out. They'll put her in, and then they'll run. Maybe. Of course, I thought that she was going to run. In the last election cycle, I thought she would be the vice presidential candidate,
9: and I was wrong. So I don't, th- I don't think she wants to be in the White House, and I don't think uh, Barack wants to be back in the White House. I think that I no, think they like you're, it from where they I think, are. I think right. I mean, right now they have a sh- a huge influence. They're they have mansions to fly around to. I mean, yeah, but if, when if you Trump do, gets
8: reelected, that's all over. If Trump gets reelected they go back into the abyss again like they were when I don't he
9: was when he was president. Well, I I don't think so. I think if Trump gets elected, we have another breather for a period of time where we feel happy oh, that some breather. somebody we like is president. <laughs> some but breather I think they're already preparing they're already preparing for him to be president again. And I've already seen some narratives starting to come out. Leon Panetta was on the news this week saying that, that it's a real I possibility. Okay, I have that so let's listen
8: to that. So now now we're now we are officially into the election update. Yeah um, bring it in. So you're right. They are terrified uh the GOPE is especially terrified. You know who's not terrified? You know who's thrilled? Jim Acosta. <laughs> Think about oh, yeah. it. Jim Acosta, who's really heard from Jim Acosta since since he right since he uh, uh since Trump left office. Jim no, Acosta's Trump entire did
9: more for his career than Right, anybody. that was his entire
8: raise, rise to fame was because of because of uh because of Donald Trump. So he he desperately needs uh Donald Trump back. So he loves this, but he had on on CNN, he had uh, Stephanie Grisham, former White House press secretary under Donald Trump, who never once managed to hold a press conference, and Olivia Troy, uh, the former advisor to the most vanilla man on earth, Mike Pence. And they are clearly terrified. Listen to this.
4: I mean, can you believe where we are right now? Uh, coming out of CPAC where Donald Trump obviously he won the uh, unscientific uh, straw poll over at CPAC, but he's leading in all of the polls. Uh, Stephanie, as his former White House press secretary, and I know you don't want to see him back in the Oval Office ever again, are you, are you at all surprised that Trump is in this position where he, I mean, Larry Hogan decided today he's not going to run. Uh, there aren't a lot of uh, takers in terms of wanting to take on Donald Trump. He may get this nomination again What do you think about that?
1: Well, um, I'm obviously not happy, and I have committed to doing all I can to try and ensure that that doesn't happen by just talking to people and educating people on who he really is.
8: Stephanie's going to educate people as to who Trump really is, because there's a big sea of people out there who have no idea who Trump really is.
9: He's an orange man.
8: (laughs) I mean, is there anyone on planet Earth who does not have a professional grade understanding of who Donald Trump is? But that's going to be her task. She's going to to educate people. That's how she's going to prevent his presidency. Get to the bottom of it. Uh, So now here, uh, uh, Olivia chimes in and and exhibits her fear. Many people consider the Florida governor the strongest
4: opponent Trump could face. And they are all, they're just praying for DeSantis. You can hear it. Many people consider the Florida governor the strongest opponent Trump could face for the nomination. but, But do you think he could knock him out of that spot?
0: I think it'll be very hard. I think once DeSantis gets going, I don't think he's as appealing. He doesn't have the charisma, so to speak, in quotes, that Trump has that kind of draw, that fiery brand, I would say. Uh, look, I, I, don't, I actually don't see the two of them as being different people. I know that many of my like Republican colleagues will say, oh, DeSantis is so much better. Um, I don't see his politics as very different than Trumpism. He is Trumpism.
8: Now, to me, that's reverse psychology. Totally. She's trying to get Trump supporters to support DeSantis because they're just right. running the same. Right. That or she's gonna be working for Pence. Who's gonna run? Because
9: which she is, is Pence's former uh Which is which is about as uh, exciting as yeah, it's about as exciting as Nikki Haley running. She, oh it's even less. Yeah. <laughs> Pence Pence can get uh maybe point two percent, I don't know. It's just, a, it doesn't matter that he's gonna run no not at all
0: you know got a different cloak wrapped around him um, but like I think it's a possibility do I see it not right now
1: if somebody like Ron DeSantis gets in it's early yet so these polls I know they do have Trump ahead but I do believe if somebody really gets in and is willing to take him on I think there's a fighting chance there um, but I'm definitely worried I'm, I'm definitely concerned about you know how how strong he is still after everything that people have seen over and over
8: but she's got more information that she's gonna uh use to educate people to what trump is really like yeah great (laughs) good luck with that one so and like i said jim Acosta,
9: you can just see him in this clip he's got almost a grin on his face
8: he couldn't be more
9: excited best thing that could ever (laughs) happen to him because he's disappeared well, he's Nobody talking listened. about Trump, and here we are talking about him. <laughs> so yeah, right. Well,
8: now and to he brings Santa's- in. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, just that he was. He now he brings in Leon Panetta.
4: Yeah. Do you think Trump could do it again? And what does that say to the world that he's even in this position right now? Well,
14: I don't think uh, we should kid ourselves. Uh, I think the the reality is that uh, he has uh, support uh, in the Republican Party. Uh, and that uh, he could very well uh, be, be the candidate for the Republican Party. I think it would be a terrible message to send to the world uh, if, in fact, he is a candidate again for President of the United States because uh, uh, I believe that his whole first America first approach uh, to foreign policy, his, uh, his desire to, to, to essentially withdraw from the world, in terms of a leadership position for the United States, would be devastating to our foreign policy at this point in time in the 21st century. Uh, that he's a loser, uh, and that even if he gets the nomination, he will lose.
8: How about some
9: psychological warfare there, <laughs> the former head right. of the CIA calling Trump a loser? <laughs> yeah, and I think this is a this is a pivot. This is a narrative pivot and open comms signaling. I think that they are actually a bit surprised that all of the stuff they've done hasn't worked to they're, shut him down. Yeah, they're beginning to be terrified that even when they indict him, it's not going to stop him. So Indicting him is going to make him more powerful. It's going to it's going to drive people to him. It's going to fire up their base. And get everybody excited. It's going to be a false glimmer of hope for them that he's going to go to jail. He's not. And he's basically getting, I think he's conditioning people here uh, to understand that they're going to be looking at him as the nominee. They're, they've they got this other woman here, you know, conceding. DeSantis doesn't have it. There's too much stuff about DeSantis. DeSantis has He's not who Trump is. DeSantis has taken millions of dollars, got two and a half million dollars from this guy, Jeff Gass. He's one of the biggest he runs a company. It's one of the biggest funders of TikTok. OK, and he was funding the opponents of Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania. Doug Mastriano was the Republican that was, you know, leading the. Election Integrity Crusades, and he was running for their uh, state senate, or for governor there. he I think he was a state senator previously. And then he's got uh, Kevin Ken Griffin, who was a huge Obama donor, gave DeSantis $5 million. So how is DeSantis going to be the conservative alternative for people when he's got – that type of funding coming his way. And you don't think Donald Trump's going to bring that stuff up if DeSantis gets into the race? By the way, everything you're talking about has led me to believe that the entire
8: issue of wokeness, all of the stuff we're seeing, trans, uh, trans story hour or a, a drag queen story hour, all of it, the indoctrination is actually an op of the establishment on the right and the establishment on the left. The establishment is pushing all of this insanity because they're actually trying to drive people more to people like DeSantis, who comes across as an anti-woke warrior, which is the entire point. They create this woke crisis, and then they have a DeSantis come in as a woke warrior and he's going to save us all when, in fact, it was all a setup to begin with.
9: Perhaps. I don't think it's going to work, though.
8: I think it's working very well. I think everyone's freaked out about the wokeness. And I think they're they, all they, looking. They are. They are. They are these but candidates not, are,
9: are, are positioning themselves for it. They are. But it's not driving people to him. And you're looking at all these polls. So? Every- his war no, against
8: Disney is attracting a
9: lot of voters. His anti-wokeness is attracting a lot of voters. I think it's getting people to look in his direction. But all of- poll after poll, every now and then there's a little poll that... That trickles out, that DeSantis beats Trump and and they're not real. The the majority of the polls still favor Trump heavily. And now that I see you see these open comms coming out, that they're they're really trying to prepare people to shift and realize that it's not gonna be somebody like DeSantis who they can control. It's gonna be somebody like it's going to be Trump as the nominee, and they need to deal with it, and they need to start preparing. And not only that, what he's saying, and the whole question that they're asking over at CNN is, is it a possibility that he could get back in the White House? This means it's start. It's time to start planning, Deep State. It's time to start planning, FBI, CIA, all of you agencies out there. Get ready to make sure when he gets back in there, he has no power. We undermine his presidency again, like we did the last time, and then it's going to be you know bad news for a while till we till he leaves four more years, and they're going to have to pre- prepare to defend themselves, and then they'll get him out. You know, eventually he's going to be out of time in there. And he's not going to be able and to there, take them down And there are silver linings completely. for them with
8: him in there. They, get, they really totally. can capitalize off
9: of the chaos they're that they're able to create. To their advantage. Exactly. Yep, they're going to turn things to their advantage just like they did last time. Look, we lost more freedom in this country than we've ever lost under Donald Trump's presidency. Not because he wanted to take our freedom away from us but because he was in a position that he was not able to deal with correctly when COVID came through, and every single apparatus in the government was ready to put the hammer down on us, the people. And they did it. And he went along with it because he had the wrong advisors, or he's part of it. Those are the two options. I mean, those are the two realities. Yeah, I don't think he was part of it, although I, I you, know, you and I have talked
8: about I do, I do think there's more than one deep state. And I think he may be a part of a different
9: deep state, or be a representative of a different deep state. Uh, I don't think he was part of it either. But and I, I don't like to think he was. But, and but I, can I, he overcome can like it for it. the second term? But if he's the in the thing. second what's term, what's going to happen next time? Right. What's going to happen? Is he but who's going? He, to, but
8: who's the other better choice? Like if you there isn't he, right, you know and even there, if here's Trump the can't. There's
9: Desantis Here, isn't going to uh, uh, Vivek is not going to. No, the reason Trump is the choice isn't because he's the best. It's because he is the protest vote.
8: Well, not he's the voting. only it's protest, the protest vote, vote because it's, your vote is stolen anyway. But. Uh. I feel like we are opening a big can of worms going down that road. <laughs> I don't no. know if we can finish in this segment. <laughs> no, we're going to get people bored and they're not going to want to listen to us. Okay, anymore. well, here this is this is not going to bore people. This is just an added little. This was uh, uh, they they went to a uh, Acosta took Panetta to a different place in the interview, and this really just jumped out at me. Uh, this is not part of the Cold War Three segment update, but it really it could be. Listen to this little
14: gem. The only way to deal with China is from strength. So it's very important that the United States make very clear where the lines are uh, in terms of Taiwan, in terms of the South China Sea, in terms of just their their defense buildup uh, and, and where it should go. Uh, ultimately, you would hope that we could reestablish some kind of dialogue with China, uh, but uh, I, we're not there yet uh, and I suspect uh, we're probably going to go to a ver- through a very tense period uh, in our relationship uh, before hopefully we're able to talk to one another.
8: We're not talking to China anymore? How bad has it gotten? He's he's saying we're not talking to China anymore. Hopefully we get to a place where we can talk to them again.
14: So, uh, ultimately, you would hope that we could reestablish some kind of dialogue with
8: so we don't have any dialogue with them. Interesting. I didn't catch that. Yeah. That's that's pretty interesting. I think that's more interesting than anything he had to say on the election.
9: You think Trump will talk to China again?
8: Yeah, I don't know. They, they seem to have... I think as much as they uh talked a big game about hating what Trump was doing they all continued on his policies on China. I think they were using Trump as the bad cop to be, to begin going down the road of of decoupling from China. Oh that's an interesting take. Yeah, that's when I begin to think he was part of the other deep state. <laughs> that, he, that the deep states are not necessarily quite as uh, uh, against each other as we might think. I don't know, but that's my tinfoil hat, and I know that's my tinfoil hat. I need a, I need a, uh, uh, what's the, a, ther, a theremin? I need ooh.
9: That's the best I can do with a whistle. Everybody should have a tinfoil hat to wear once in a while. Well, that one is mine.
8: Uh, so, well, I think that might have been a window uh, on the truth of what is going on between the United States and China right now. Or that are he's talking about in the future. Uh, in the near future, we're going to enter a period where we don't have any communication with China. That's the Cold War. And that makes sense. Like we've been saying, this is a manufactured Cold War that they're building right now
9: right i have uh i found i've got a clip of uh joel skousen he's a pretty smart guy who has an assessment of kind of where it's going to unfold um and because everybody's looking at ukraine right now as the beginning of world war three but he's pointing to china and north korea or taiwan it's true that
15: russia and china are against our globalists, but not because they intend to you know, give any semblance of freedom to the world, but because they want to establish their own system of new world order, very tyrannical in the aftermath of what is going to become an inevitable uh, World War three and nuclear war. But it won't start with Ukraine. And the reason I say that, I've explained this in my world affairs brief numerous times, but I'll do it one more time for your audience. Russia could use its nukes. It has the largest arsenal and the largest set of missiles with up to 15 warheads each on the missiles compared to our puny 400 missiles that we took the three warheads off of and replaced them a single warhead. So they've got about 15,000 weapons and we've got 400. But Russia can't use them against the West because it doesn't have the conventional military that can occupy and consolidate the gains from such a destructive attack. That would allow the West to simply rebuild and come back against Russia. See, Russia can't even occupy Eastern Ukraine, let alone all of Ukraine, let alone all of Europe, let alone the United States. So it must wait for China to be ready to do this preemptive nuclear strike against military targets. That's not gonna happen because of Ukraine. There will be another trigger event that has to involve China, and that's most likely either Taiwan or North Korea it used to be north korea only because we have 27,000 us troops there and we must respond if north korea which is a puppet state of china attacks south korea and us troops there but now that the us has announced they're putting in 100 to 200 advisors into taiwan it also makes taiwan a trigger event not as big as one as north korea but a trigger event nevertheless and it may deter china from uh, attacking taiwan until they're fully ready to take on the west in world war three which i don't expect until the latter half of this decade so while i believe that the war is inevitable uh owen i don't believe that ukraine is going to be the trigger event for that war
9: he was talking to owen schroyer on Infowars there and um i think he uh, this is joel skousen he publishes uh Newsletter called the World Affairs Brief that I read regularly because I think he has uh, some very clear and concise explanation understanding of some of these events in a more sophisticated level than than we do. And his uh, father wrote the book The Naked Communist that a lot of people have probably read, uh, and the Five Thousand Year Leap. His name was uh Cleon Skousen. But uh I thought that was an interesting uh take as far as all the hype going around right now about World War Three starting and should we Ukraine. make that book assigned reading? Uh I have read parts of it. I haven't read the whole book. I did read the five thousand year leap, but I would I would recommend World Affairs Brief to to people. Um you should assign a chapter. To our podcast audience, and we can all read
8: it, and then we can all discuss the naked communist the naked communist don't don't yeah. do it right this second but 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 come back maybe next week and and we'll and let's let's have a homework assignment for people
9: okay we'll think and about for me that. too
8: i i I would like it too. I have a homework assignment for people. What is it? I want our listeners, our producers because you 're not just listeners, you're producers we don't have any corporate sponsorship. We have citizen sponsorship. The way that this works is you are all our producers. So I would like to ask our producers to go see a movie called The Jesus Revolution. Have you heard of this movie? I've heard of it. I went to go see this in the theater this weekend and uh, took a cousin of mine. We we watched it, and it was a very interesting movie. I want to discuss this film with you, but we can't discuss it without, without you and other audience members having seen it as well. And what I really like to do is ask audience members to find their way to this film, get your hands on a copy, go to the theater, stream it, download, whatever you need to, watch it, and then... Write to us at truth at truthbait.com and tell us what you think. Uh and we'll we'll read your letters and we'll discuss it. I think let's let's maybe give it two weeks. So not next Friday. But the Friday after next. Maybe that I think that should be long enough for people to see it and 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 formulate uh, thoughts and participate. Is it that good? It's that interesting of a movie, especially for for the Truth Bait podcast community. Who should go see it? Should everybody go see it? Or is it a kid's movie? I think it depends on your sensitivity. There are some adult themes in the film, but it is a film that has a very wholesome message and is by and large a very wholesome film. If you're somebody who is extremely concerned about not exposing your children to any kind of adult theme, then I would not I would go just to just go yourself as an adult and then you can make your own decision as to whether or not you think it's appropriate for your children. But I think this is a very interesting film. it's not the greatest film, it's not a bad film, but it's a very interesting film because it is a Hollywood film that is attempting i believe i think, and other people may have a different opinion. I think it is a very respectful film about religion produced by Hollywood starring Kelsey Grammer who you might remember from Cheers and Frasier and any number of different movies he's an he is well for most of his career was an A-lister maybe now he's considered a B-lister but he's right on the cusp he's definitely a major a major name a major draw it's a full Hollywood production in theaters and as far as I can tell, it is not at all disrespectful to Christianity, which in today's day and age is a very big anomaly. I may be wrong about this, though. I am myself not a Christian. So I could be looking at it from a perspective that, that is missing uh, the whole picture. And so I want, I really hope that the, that the Christians in our audience will go see this film. And come back to us and let us know what they think. So now I have to go see it. It's homework. This is not one of those things that I'm going to watch for you. <laughs> you need to go watch this. I need your take. And that What caused, caused you to go see it? Oh, I love seeing things like this. I am all about... The culture and what Hollywood is doing and how they're destroying our culture and their attack on religion and especially on on Christianity and and anything that is foundational to this nation. So when I get like a whiff that maybe there's something out there that isn't doing that and it's coming from Hollywood, I get very interested and I want to go see. So that's why I I go to films like this. I want to see, and I want to see if they're learning, you know, a lot of, you know, films of religious content, films of political content, they make a a, a very common mistake where they're, they they forget to entertain their audience first and they just get very preachy and you end up with scene after scene of melodramatic music and, you know, having, having the moral or the point just hammered on top of your head and it destroys the entire narrative, destroys the film, destroys everything that it could possibly do. And uh, I want people's take on whether or not this film does that.
9: I will tell you as a Bible believing Christian I was not going to go see this movie but I do like the point I do like the exercise you're presenting here and I think it's a it could be a really great way to engage with the listeners um and get some opinions and and have some audience participation and some of the content of the show so you're a really
8: good test audience for this film then because you are exactly the kind of person who rightfully so has walked away from Hollywood has walked away from anything like this because it is only guaranteed to disappoint you you would assume and you know what maybe it will and you'll you'll share with me the perspective of why that is the case maybe you'll 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 open my eyes a little bit on the other hand maybe your eyes will be opened up a little bit we'll see all right. And and yes, that is, you know, look, this is the beautiful thing about the Truth Bait Podcast, which comes to you every Tuesday and Friday without fail. Jeremy. To the best of our ability. Thank you. And uh, really what we're asking you to do is be an active listener. And there are, by oh, so, and, and here, Jeremy, oh, let me share. Since we're, this is, let's do the ask. We're going to do the ask. And I have something for us to open up this segment. Jeremy, this is my gift to the podcast. <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. This is the point in the podcast where we need to beg—well, <laughs> not really beg—but <laughs> we need to explain to you how this works. Uh, and I mentioned it earlier in the in the in the podcast, but we do not have any corporate sponsors here on the Truth Bait podcast. We have citizen sponsors, and that's the way we like it. Because if we had corporate sponsors, we would have to be very careful about the things that we say. Like, we would not be able to say. Trump won the 2020 election. We would not be able to say COVID was manufactured by the United States and released by China. Or that the shot is dangerous. Uh, These are things we could not say and hold on to corporate sponsorship. So we have just foregone corporate sponsorship and we are building a community of active listeners. You are our producers. And the way that this works, it's called Value for Value. And we hope that you are listening to this broadcast and you feel as though we are delivering something of value. And if you do feel that way, we ask that as active listeners, you attempt to return the value. And there are multiple ways to return value. There are, and it's uh, the way that people phrase it is time, talent, or treasure. And and what we really hope as active listeners, the easiest thing you can do as an active listener is share the show. Hashtag share the show. That is right now. We are hoping that people are enjoying this and that they're willing to send it to a friend. Let their let their networks of people know about this program. If you like the show, that's the best way right now. You can return value. And another way you can return value is through talent. If you have a story idea, a segment idea, if you're if you're doing your own research on a topic and you see something and you say, Oh my gosh. The, we This needs to be covered. You're a producer on this show, and that means you can recommend segments. And, and actually, coming up, when we're done with this, we have a segment that is 100% came to us from a producer, Bev in Florida, and we're going to be doing an entire segment inspired completely on her request. She was absolutely right. It's a topic that needs to be covered. And so that is take advantage of becoming a producer of this podcast by writing us at truthattruthbait sending us your suggestions, sending us leads, sending us tips, and of course the other way uh, not to uh, not to neglect this is to uh, help us financially. Uh, oh, and I, I had a sound. I had a. It's to help us find. Oh no! It's all chaos, it. Jerry. It's all it.
5: chaos. <laughs> Hang on.
8: Oh no. Oh, cha-ching. I, I cha-ching. It's yes, a cash register. It is. Stinger. Where'd it go? There, there it is. Go. We All do right. require financial support. It does uh, take a. L- Oh, it does take a lot of resources in order to bring you the Truthbait Podcast. We use expensive equipment. We have uh, uh, licenses that we have to clear. The music that you're listening to is all cleared. The sound uh, the sound drops that you're hearing are all cleared. The software we're using to produce this costs money, it takes resources to produce this. So we are uh, also always hoping that people can contribute financially. The ironic part about that is that we don't really have a mechanism for you to contribute financially right at this moment. We're hoping by show, by episode 10, we will have a mechanism for you to be able to. Uh, you can send in a, an analog donation via check or cash to a post office box. You'll be able to use a credit card or you will even be able to send us Bitcoin. You can send us Bitcoin right now, actually. If you're listening on a podcast 2.0 app and you look up in the, uh, up in the corner, you'll see a little dollar sign. You should be able to click that and send us uh, Bitcoin. And even though we don't know exactly how to use that Bitcoin or to get it out
9: of our wallet or even access our wallet, it'll be there uh, for when we do learn. And here's the thing, like, by episode 10, which is five episodes away, right? If you're still listening... Hold on, I need to do the math on that. This is episode five.
8: One, Ten, two, minus, three,
9: 10, three. 10 Okay, minus yeah, you're five. right. You're right. Well, so. I thought 10 minus five is green. <laughs>
8: 10 minus five is racist.
9: <laughs> <laughs> if you're still listening by episode 10, you must be getting some value Or you have a very boring life. Um, So you should be looking forward to that that day that you could finally uh, contribute financially to the show. But more importantly, as Andrew said right now, sharing the show and think about how you share it. Sometimes you send somebody a link. And how many times do you get a link and ignore it? So if you really like it and you think you know somebody that would really like it, Tell them about it to tell them why they should click that link. And if you do like it, make sure you rate it. Make sure you rate it highly because those are the kind of things that really do make a difference. And think about it yourself. When somebody sends you something to watch and you see it has two views or one star, you're not so likely to go for it. So uh, we've had a lot of people doing this so far. We can see in the back end that people are sharing the show. We're gaining followers and downloads are way more than we expected. So all those things are going great. Just please keep it up. Please and listeners
8: from other countries.
9: That's surprising me. Yeah. How are we reaching Belgium? How are Europe. we reaching Germany? How are we we're reaching I saw Canada? One in Africa. I saw one in Africa. That's unbelievable. In Africa. So whoever you are in Africa, tell everybody in Africa. Unless you're in Chicago using a VPN that shows you're from Africa, <laughs> in
8: which case, just say hello to me. I think, people, I think people are listening to the show and they're sharing the show because it's their favorite show.
12: They're just hilarious. Great
16: show. Good show. Good show. <laughs> My favorite show.
9: That's the only one I want to play. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the and the other thing is 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 like Andrew said. um, Send us comments. uh, What you like about it? Something that you were enlightened by or learned, or just you know, we're not necessarily claiming we know everything here, but we do think we can uh, help everybody to see things from a different perspective or at least to look at things uh, from outside of the paradigm and all of the narratives that have been constructed around us uh, that we're supposed to operate within. And I think that that's a critical component to uh, cleaning up the information battleground that we exist in and if people do start looking at things differently and opening up your friend's eyes or your neighbor's eyes or your cousin's eyes just to some different ways of looking at some of these subjects uh that were programmed to think about certain ways uh that we hope that that would be a big value uh, to you and to our community and the broader uh, community in our country as a whole so we really want to build a community here with people who want to participate in the production of the show find stories find clips things that you think we should highlight or things that you want us to help dissect and make sense out of and that makes it more fun for everybody also
8: you know and actually Jeremy we have uh we have listener feedback do you want to hear a little piece of listener feedback yeah yeah this comes to us from uh cruise director barb in arizona a very active listener she has reached out to us a number of times she's given us Uh, segment ideas and she's given us feedback. She has a little more feedback for us. I really think you two are doing well enough that you don't need to spend time critiquing yourselves anymore, especially for the new listeners. I think that Uh, highlighting our errors and and the banter about our errors uh, while we enjoy talking about them. I I think that uh, other people are, uh, you know what, let's look at this. This is a silver lining. This is actually a really positive comment. What she's saying is, I love your analysis and I love the information you're bringing me. Stop with all the other stuff and just
9: please more analysis, more of your brilliant minds. That's not going to be fun for me if I can't pick on Andrew. Andrew. I don't think she minds you picking on me. I think she doesn't want <laughs> me picking on me. <laughs> Part
8: of the point here is keeping it fun. <laughs> I think it's a huge compliment. I think it's an, an enormous compliment. She's saying you guys are no longer just starting out. You you sound like you know what you're doing, and we love we love the analysis, more
9: analysis. Thank you, uh, Cruise Director Barb. In, but that's not what she said. That is what you're she in- said. You're interpreting that <laughs>
8: that you have to. I got to the truth bait behind the, <laughs> the, the message she sent me. That is the truth. So thank you. She thank could you. just be
9: saying it's boring. We don't want to hear it. Stop. Stop critiquing it. Yeah, yourselves. this is our it's audience. Not, right it's now. not as funny as you think it is. <laughs>
8: <laughs> so thank you very much, cruise director Barb. And our next segment uh, is right along those lines. Like I said, this comes from bev in florida another active listener who is very excited about the program she's been uh, sending me updates about sharing the program she's sharing the show thank you so much bev in florida we're honored that you are enjoying what we're doing and think that it's important to share so this next story comes from bev in florida uh I'm not going to share a lot of details about Bev unless she unless she, you know, gives us permission or uh, maybe one, maybe at some point in the future maybe she'll come on the show cuz she has a very interesting story herself. Um uh but like I said, you know, her seal of approval is meaningful to, to us because uh you know, she's a, she's a real American patriot in every sense of the word and if she appreciates what we're doing here, then we're doing something right, Jeremy. She's a mama bear. She is a mama bear. Uh one of the amazing, one of the amazing things about being a producer of the TruthBait podcast, like I said, is you get to help make the show be what you want it to be. And Bev wrote us because she was hopping mad that Iran issued a death threat against President Trump, and it was met with nearly total indifference by our media, and our, and frankly, by our Ukraine obsessed public. Uh, did you did you know that there was a death threat made against Trump?
9: This is what I heard. Right, there's a lot of that. So Crickets. She, there was she, nothing. Yeah, I did was, see it. I saw it happen. I mean, I heard about it, but I mean, it's like nobody cared. Right, I got to tell you, I'm guilty of
8: the same thing. I heard it, and I it didn't really register for me. I didn't. I'm I'm desensitized to it at this point. I'm really glad that she wrote us because it does deserve attention, and attention it is about to get. So. Yeah, Iran made a death threat against not just Trump, but but members of the cabinet. And uh, here, let's go to we're going to go to CNN's coverage of the death threat. It's the crickets again. Okay, well, how about NBC?
9: Well, they didn't crickets in your studio too. Yeah. uh,
8: (laughs) Well, this is here's ABC's report. Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is CBS's report. They're the same. Did anybody so, cover it? None of the majors covered it. None of them. I had to go to, do you know the website, uh, memory TV? M-E-M-R-I dot TV, the Middle East
9: Media Research Institute? Yeah, that's uh, that's like an Iranian news outlet. They are? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a it's it's as far as I know. I think it's I think it's, it's a Western group, unless you know something. I don't. I thought it was a, a the Western. The M R M E M R I, right? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's an Iranian. Mm-hmm. Well, really, outfit. they they spend a lot of time translating uh,
8: Iranian content and and other content, Russian, other languages, uh,
9: exposing what they're talking about. Doesn't seem to be a very positive thing for them. Well are they hiding from the fact that they wanna kill Trump? They they just announced it. <laughs> well and this is this is so here is
8: uh I found the source of the current of the current threat comes from the IRGC Aerospace Force Commander General Amir Ali Hajizadeh. <laughs> Now, in case you don't understand that, he says the desire to avenge Soleimani. If you remember, uh, President Trump and the Trump administration assassinated General Soleimani. He was the number two uh, in charge of. uh, Well, here I have a description for him. Um, uh, According to Wikipedia, he was the commander of the Kuds Force an IRGC division primarily responsible for extraterritorial and clandestine military operations. In other words, he killed a lot of Americans in Iraq and Syria. That last line came from me, not from Wikipedia. And what he is saying is, the desire to avenge Soleimani was already there. The honorable leader gave the order. Our guys answered the call, and we hit the Ain al-Assad airbase. I believe that's in... Is that in Iraq or is that in Syria? I think that's in Syria. Um, some say that there were many casualties there. Some say few. If we wanted that night to kill a thousand of them, we could. But these were wretched soldiers whose killing was not our goal. In Allah, if we can kill Trump, Pompeo, or General McKenzie, it is the military commanders who gave the order that should be killed. So that's the death threat. And, you know, the funny thing is, is that this is not at all, even remotely, the first time that they've issued the death threat.
9: Do you remember? I know I've heard them previously, too. Do you think they just don't want to give it oxygen? Do you think they don't want
8: to? I think it makes Trump and members of his administration look sympathetic, and they can't have that. And I think that the message that is coming from Iran so closely tracks to what the left has to say that they can't have that either. Because I think, frankly, the most dangerous thing for Trump is that there are major chunks of our establishment that would be completely fine with Iran assassinating Trump.
9: Lots of people have suggested
8: it. So uh, that I think is that's his main threat. But let's let's take a look at some of the some of the previous uh, threats. Um, let's see here. Uh, you have on Fox News, Morgan Ortega uh, is uh, talking about the, the the threat that came across a year ago.
7: The United States is in the middle of negotiations to give $90 billion of sanctions relief to Iran. Iran, at this very moment, is threatening former Trump administration officials, former high-level diplomats, threatening to kill them on U.S. soil. Mm. Uh, We all know this because I am very friendly with uh, many of these people who still require uh, service, uh, protection from the diplomatic service, from the State Department, from the Secret Service. Uh, They're out of government but they still require this protection because the because the ongoing threats from the Iranian regime to kill them Trump administration officials on US soil.
8: So, and not only that Jeremy, I don't know if you're aware but in the past year Iran tried to kidnap a dissident a dissident in New York. Really? Uh, yeah, a woman by the name of I don't have any audio on it. Um um, Amira Lee No, that was the guy who made the threat. I'm sorry. Uh, hold on, I just misread the wrong. Uh, uh, Iranian activist uh, uh, Masih Alinejad. Alinejad.
6: And
8: that is from Bloomberg Quick Take. And again, I'm assuming nobody's going to be able to translate that. <laughs> yeah.
17: yeah, he said. <laughs> oh, you did. Oh,
8: you did. Okay. I didn't
7: know what
17: he...
8: <laughs> and what Jeremy is saying for people who don't understand him, uh, that was the Iranian president, Ibrahim uh, Rasi, Raisi, who says, "quote," and this was a year ago, and this was this was uh, uh, what. Uh, Uh, what Morgan Ortegas was talking about on Fox News in the previous clip. He says, the then president of America, which is the main, I should actually do this with a, the main, wait, the then president of America, which is the main aggressor, murderer, and the criminal must be prosecuted and killed. (laughs) I like that. He must be prosecuted and killed. (laughs) <laughs> no, skip the
7: prosecution. <laughs> Go right to the him.
8: The sentence of God must be executed up against him. If a mechanism for a third trial of Trump of a fair trial, I love it, of the mechanism for a fair trial of Trump that is going to prosecute him and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> if the mechanism for a fair trial of Trump, Pompeo, and the other criminals is prepared. I, I sound like an old Jewish man now. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> Pompeo <laughs> and the other criminals is prepared. And if their crime is addressed in a fair court hearing, and if they are punished for their shameful crimes, well, that is fine. So he'd be willing to accept that. (laughs) If not, I'm telling all American leaders, don't doubt that the hand of revenge will come out of the sleeves of the Ummah. Okay. So that was was a year ago, and it was uh, uh, part of a concerted effort of death threats. Do you remember a year ago when they put out an animation? The president of Iran on his website put out an animation uh, depicting Donald Trump being... uh, Murdered with a uh, a guided missile strike on Mar a Lago while he's golfing while he's teeing off
9: on the first tee. Yeah, I saw that,
8: and I don't have any video of that because it's it's in a different language, and uh, you've already heard two in a different language, and and you get you get the point. And here is uh, Forbes in the White House press corps attempts to ask Jen Psaki about the death threats and and what they're doing about it
0: i have a question about a video that iran's supreme leader posted on his website um, that appears to show a robot uh, conducting a drone strike killing the former president at his mar-a-lago golf club is the intelligence community assessing this threat and working with former president trump um, to offer protection of
16: any kind I'm not going to speak to the work of our intelligence community, obviously uh, the uh, the kind of uh, rhetoric or video uh, from the Supreme Leader is something that uh, we've seen um, you know offensive uh, offensive rhetoric and behavior in the past, um, but I'm not going to speak to more specifics of internal discussions.
1: but are you aware of the video i don 't have any more details on it
8: and don't you love how the same people who refuse to call Donald Trump President Trump refer to the uh, dictator in in Iran is the supreme, the supreme leader.
9: leader. He is the supreme leader.
8: And that is not lost on people. Pasaki. And and meanwhile, you know, it's, I don't think it's surprising that our establishment and the left are ignoring this issue. They've fetishized the death of Donald Trump since the beginning of his administration. Do you remember the staging of Julius Caesar by Shakespeare in the Park in New York City where they reproduced it so that it was Donald Trump who was being murdered on stage every night. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a play in the park. And do you remember that was when Jack Posobiec became famous and Laura Loomer became famous because they were the people who disrupted that event. Right. Here's a clip of that.
7: The controversial Shakespeare in the Park production of Julius Caesar will give its final two performances this weekend. Last night, the bigger performances happened offstage as two protesters denounced the production.
8: And that comes from Fox News.
7: Well, two protesters were arrested, their rants temporarily stopping the show in Central Park. One woman stormed the stage saying, stop the normalization of violence against the right. Another man shouted, this is violence against Donald Trump. Audience members reportedly booed the disruptions. And The public theater's website saying the play does not advocate violence and is a cautionary tale about not using undemocratic means to defend democracy. And earlier this week, the director reiterated the theater's disclaimer while defending creative license. Um, he's uh, director. Oscar Eustace said, you know, anybody who watches this play tonight and I'm you know, I'm sorry about, you know, the spoiler, but they will know that neither Shakespeare nor the public theater could possibly advocate violence to a solution to a political problems and certainly not assassination.
8: And I'm calling nonsense on that one because it's just not true. They were fetishizing the death no, of, of maybe that's Trump. What the
9: Iranians were doing. Maybe they were releasing propaganda videos showing missiles blowing up. Mar-a-Lago In a Shakespearean is just a, <laughs> just a means of starting a conversation of removing him from office democratically. <laughs> right, right, exactly.
8: Well, look, the 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 message of Julius Caesar is, they're correct, the message is that assassination is a, a path to failure, uh your path to ruin. And it, that would be if that was the message, that would be a valuable message, but you know the, the implicit in what they 're saying is we need to communicate to our violent side who wants to assassinate trump that that 's the wrong way to go, but they 're not doing it as a critique against their own violent side, they were just doing it as a as a fetishistic uh, exercise to watch Trump be murdered and i, I you know I was really I, Maybe so that something was... our producers can do. Let me just say, I was looking very, very hard everywhere out there for any footage that wasn't of disruptions but was just of the moment in the play where they murdered Donald Trump to hear what the crowd reaction is. I couldn't find anything, but I would be willing to bet dimes to dollars. There was cheering in that audience. The yeah. message was lost on their own audience.
9: And there was so much of this going on during his term that it it was successfully normalized, I think, because when a clip like this comes out now, you know, a lot of people just look past it. They don't give it any oxygen on the news. They don't cover it. They don't talk about it. Uh, could you imagine what they would do if if uh, they said that about Obama? Oh, you
8: couldn't even have uh somebody with a mask of of Obama I remember the guy at the rodeo the rodeo clown who wore the mask obama's mask while he was uh, a rodeo clown and they said that was
9: racist yeah you yeah, could but imagine if iran came out right now and said that they you know they issued a you know declaration for obama's head on a stake. Oh, yeah well no obama you know, that obama's be, a human being that would be big that would be big news. Yeah,
8: Obama's a human being. Trump is right. not a human being. Uh, well, so. th- and you remember. So since you're since you're reminiscing about the the the, uh, the normalization of it, do you remember Kathy Griffin holding up or Kathy right? Griff- that was the other Griffin? one that says she was
9: holding up a mask of his head, a dripping severed blood head, right. an,
8: an image of of Trump's severed head dripping in blood, as though mm-hmm. she was ISIS, and right. and he was his victim now. Uh, her victim, but uh, she suffered a, a lot of ramification from that. It definitely put a big uh, roadblock in her career, and she's spent a long time coming back from that. So she did pay a price, but uh, not everybody wanted to see her pay a price, and this is how the violence was normalized. Listen to Jim Carrey's response to Kathy Griffin.
4: I see that everybody's a hypocrite because everybody's imagined themselves standing there with his head. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe at least half the country. You know, we're in a tough spot. It's a very, very divided world, and uh, and uh, those on uh, the, uh, I guess you'd call it the left side. I I just call it uh, the sensible side. As you know, we're sitting there watching this nonsense happen, and people like Sean Spicer come out and talk about it like we're we're kindergartners. You know, and uh, covering for this president is like putting makeup on a melanoma. Mm -hmm. You know, not only unsightly, but it's dangerous.
8: So, uh, Trump's a cancer, uh, uh, our country's divided because, uh, people who aren't just normal and on the left are covering up for Trump. Who's a cancer. Thank you, Jim Carrey.
9: That's okay. I'm going to agree that he, that Jim Carrey is a kindergartner. He's a kindergartner. Yeah. He said there's. was being talked to like their kid in our kindergarten. You're right. <laughs> he did. Say that's justified. <laughs> I have a lot more respect for kindergartners. <laughs> that's
8: true. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been normalized. As you say, you're absolutely right. And Bev, that's why, uh, uh among other reasons, that's why it was lost on somebody like me. And I I, I really appreciate that you, as an active listener to the Truth Bay podcast, were there to kick us in the pants and say, no, this needs a little bit of attention. And you're right. It needed attention. It needs attention. And let me tell you something even more, because Jeremy, as bad as all of that is, it's not even the worst part. The rest of the story is the worst part, as is always the case with these things. Because, Jeremy, what most people didn't notice due to the death threats is that the Iranian general was had, had something else he was talking about on that show. And, in fact, his death threat was just at the very end of what he was talking about. What was it? Yeah. What he was talking about was Iran's brand-new stockpile of hypersonic missiles. Here, listen, listen to this. German
16: training.
8: That's scary how close you are. Okay, now I'm going to translate, Jeremy. Well,
9: <laughs> I am translating it, but I'm not translating it in English.
8: <laughs> no, I'm going, I'm going to translate from your translation now. Uh, again, the IRGC Aerospace Force Commander, General Amir Ali Hajazadeh, who made the, uh, the most recent death threat, he says, quote, As you know, the largest air force in the world belongs to the U.S. Navy. When people used to say that this Navy is heading towards a certain country's shores, the ruler of that country would be toppled immediately. Well, that's not not exactly true, but I get what he's saying. And everything that the Americans wanted would happen. Okay, what is the situation now? If they want to keep their aircraft carriers and missile boats away from our shores, they will have to take them 700 kilometers from us. If they take them too far, they become ineffective. With the grace of the Lord, our missiles now have the range of 2,000 kilometers. This range has been limited because we respect the Europeans and hope the Europeans keep themselves respectable. We can hit the American ships up to a range of 2,000 kilometers. Where does this bring us? Draw a radius from the shores of Iran. You get the Indian Ocean, the Red Sea, and the Mediterranean. So what is their navy good for?
9: Nothing. Nothing. Hmm. Perhaps the death threat was a distraction. It's certainly, well, it would be a distraction if anybody bothered to cover it.
8: Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it is certainly serving as a distraction because that is all people are talking about. When I think really just as important is what he's talking about with these hypersonic missiles, because guess who else has them? Ooh.
9: Guess, guess. North Korea, mm, close. Uh, Afghanistan. Russia claims it is using Russia. hypersonic
1: missiles to attack
0: Ukraine. The most recent reported attack was Sunday on a fuel depot in eastern Ukraine. It was the second day in a row Russia claims it used the weapon, which
1: is capable of traveling at five times the speed of sound.
8: And now you're going to hear from Mike Vickers, the uh, former Under Secretary of Defense for Intelligence. No, he's no, yes, former Under of Defense for Intelligence.
18: Well, this is really like a gorilla beating his chest. I mean, the weapon is not very useful uh, in Ukraine, um, and it's more, I think, a signal to the West of what uh, Russian capabilities could be if used against them. Um, U.S. naval ships, for example, or um, uh, air bases in in, in NATO. Um, And so there's really two wars going on right now. On the military-to-military war... Um, Ukraine is clearly winning. Um, By U.S. estimates, reportedly, uh, Russia has already suffered 7,000 killed in action, and usually three times that many wounded in action. Ukrainians estimate twice that much. Now, by comparison, in 20 years of war in Iraq and Afghanistan, we had 7,000 killed in action. Russia's had that in four weeks. Uh, So Ukraine is clearly winning uh, in in terms of defeating Russian maneuver forces. And then finally, he could escalate a bit in Ukraine with perhaps chemical weapons. They've used those in Syria uh, and other places. He hasn't been shy about that.
8: No, they did not. (laughs) They didn't use chemical weapons there. We claimed they did, but they didn't. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, nonsense in that report where he says that Ukraine is winning. Now, this report's a number of months old now, but Ukraine has never been winning. No. But he says there's nothing to worry about. They're just, they're just thumping their chest. But, but he then goes on to say exactly what we need to worry about, which is that these hypersonic weapons can be used against our military in theater, and there's nothing we're going to be able to do about it. Nothing. We're going to watch our fleet sink. And if they wanted to deliver an EMP or a nuke, they could do it. Both and, and, and really what you see here is, read between the lines, Russia armed Iran. Iran did not develop its own hypersonic missiles. But there's good news, Jeremy. You're kidding. Yeah, you want the good news? What is it? The good news is, not to worry, the Pentagon is on it. Oh. when Vladimir Putin showed off what he said was a
19: hypersonic cruise missile, he gave the world a brief glimpse of a secret arms race. This is from CBS News. He pits the U.S. against Russia and China in a contest to build weapons that can fly 10,000 miles per hour, more than 10 times the speed of sound. John Wilcox is a vice president at Northrop Grumman, which flew the first hypersonic aircraft back in 2004. Launch. It only flew for about 10 seconds, but Northrop Grumman is now conducting tests as part of the Pentagon's top-secret efforts to develop hypersonic weapons that can fly longer and farther.
4: This is the hypersonic pulse facility for aerodynamic testing of hypersonic vehicles.
19: He took us into a test chamber on condition we would not reveal its location. It is a giant air gun which fires bursts of gas at incredible speeds and pressure to simulate the conditions of hypersonic flight.
11: The gases come down the air gun and hit right back here at the plate.
19: It's a pretty hefty piece of steel. It
11: is. It is very hefty.
19: Look how the gases burst through the steel plate. That plus temperatures of 2,000 degrees are what a hypersonic aircraft would have to survive. Wilcox estimates a working hypersonic weapon is still five to ten years away. Fantastic. This test took place five years ago. Since then, the Pentagon has classified all its work on hypersonic weapons. The Pentagon has declared hypersonics its number one technical priority. But the official in charge of the program recently acknowledged the U.S. is playing catch-up with both Russia and China.
8: Oh, we're playing catch-up. So they're they're basically going to be able to attack us with impunity... And we are, according to this report, another five years off.
9: Yeah, but we're light years ahead in diversity.
8: Oh, and so that brings me to <laughs> my last little piece of this because I think it helps explain maybe why we're a little bit behind. You know the old saying get woke, go broke? Well, the army's looking a little broken. Here's an ad posted to YouTube by the Go Army. A YouTube account called The Calling.
12: This is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California with a little girl raised by two moms. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women.
8: Nice native ad for UC Davis. (laughs) I wonder how much they paid the army for that one.
12: Yeah. But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, But what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures, my own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way.
9: And by this the way, tos- that toxic femininity. Absolutely, thank you
8: very much. <laughs> and uh, that's an animation too. So, like, they're basically—it's like they're speaking to little girls.
9: Do you notice anything missing from that little the recruitment? Whole story's ad? made up. I'm sure the whole thing is fake. Well,
8: there's a there is a woman who is a soldier or an actor per, uh, playing a soldier who is claiming to be the, the, the front of that uh, the front of that story. But even if you take it at face value. Do you notice anything missing? What's that? Nothing about patriotism, nothing about sacrifice, nothing about honor. It's all me, me, me. Yeah, it's
9: all about her. Her
8: calling is not about something bigger, which is usually what a calling is. Her calling's all about her. And what an Very accurate good. reflection of our culture, Jeremy. Yeah. This is this, by the way, this ad's not stupid. This ad is exactly how you market to people who've rejected our nation's founding and the Constitution and religious faith. This is the message you would send to them because they don't have any of those things. They don't have any basis in patriotism or any basis in sacrifice or honor. So, very good. Very good. So, no wonder they're making death threats against our president with impunity. No wonder they're launching kidnapping plots against dissidents in New York. Uh, we
9: are uh, we're woke. No one's afraid of a woke military, and that is what we are now. Well, you're still missing the point. It doesn't matter if they're afraid. Our woke military is going to destroy them with our superior ideology.
8: <laughs> Certainly, we must be converting people across the world right now. They see yeah, the rainbow flag and they that's are right. <laughs> they're just
9: sitting there they're like, "Oh, what are we going to do? We're stuck in our toxic masculinity." La, 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 la.
8: You know, if only there was a country that could s- save us from our toxic save masculinity from ourselves. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. So, thank you, Bev. I like I said, uh, great work sending us that as a suggestion. Thank you for kicking us in the pants. More, please, more of that from you and from all other active listeners, uh, our audience of producers of the Truthbait podcast, which airs every Tuesday and Friday without fail.
9: To the best of our ability.
8: Well, we are now. We've we're north of two hours. I do have one more important story, Jeremy. Uh, before we get out, how important? Very.
9: Okay.
8: Yeah, this one is. This is one that everyone should be paying attention to, and almost nobody is paying attention to. And what do you know? The name Chase Allen. Does the name Chase Allen mean anything to you?
9: I haven't. I'm not that familiar with it. I've heard the name somewhere in the news lately. So, yeah, Chase Allen's name has been in the news. He was
8: shot and killed by police in Utah uh, for a traffic stop. And I went looking for – when you hear the details of this, you're going to understand why I went looking to see who covered this. I only found one national outlet that covered it, and it was ABC News Good Morning America – and I think the only reason that they covered it was so that they could signal the message for how this story was going to be covered. Uh, this report is, I guess, you it's not coverage, it's the coverage up. It's the cover up.
1: This morning, five Utah police officers are on administrative leave following a shooting in broad daylight that left a man dead and his family searching for answers. On
5: engine 71, medic 71, respond to the post
1: office, 14 and Overnight, Farmington police giving their most detailed account of the shooting that happened outside the local post office. According to police, 25 year old Chase Allen was pulled over Wednesday because his car had an illegitimate license plate. They say he refused to cooperate or show any identification. Responding officers called for backup. They allegedly asked Allen to get out of the car, but they say he refused. Police then described what they saw on body camera, saying as they tried to pull him out, an observing officer yelled, gun, gun, gun. They say a struggle lasted a few seconds and then gunshots could be heard through the camera. Police say the footage also shows an empty holster on Allen's right hip and a handgun on the driver's side floorboard.
9: I know my guys and if they fired shots, I'm certain they were in fear of their life.
8: That was Police Chief Eric Johnson. Now there is so much more to this story that ABC News is not telling their their viewers. Chase Allen identifies as a sovereign citizen. Are you familiar with sovereign citizens? Yes. Again from Twitter uh, from Wiki, the sovereign citizen movement is a loose grouping of litigants, activists, tax, tax protesters financial scheme promoters, again, Wiki, <laughs> and conspiracy theorists who claim to be answerable only to their particular interpretations of the common law and believe that they are therefore not subject to any government statutes or proceedings unless they consent to them. The movement, which appeared in the early 1970s, is American in origin and exists primarily in the United States, though it has expanded to other countries, notably the Freeman, the Freemen on the Land movement, uh, an offshoot of sovereign citizens, uh, which is in Canada. So their main thesis is that the that the United States government no longer acts constitutional, and so they're no longer bound to follow the edicts and laws uh, of the United States. Now, look, people can debate that one. I have a lot of sympathy for what they're saying. Um, uh, but But frankly, the debate about sovereign citizens is not, the point uh, of of this story uh, it informs, I think, why what transpired transpired. Um, not only did Chase identify as a sovereign citizen, so did his family, his parents, and that is where this story gets incredibly fishy here's a report from local ksl news and it's a background on the mom's case against police
18: News specialist alex cabrero is on that story for us tonight and alex the
8: police chief says that alan asserted his uh, well you can say his independence from the laws of the land and you discovered similar stop involving his mother
17: That's right, Mike, and there was an incident involving his mother this past April. Now Diane Allen is suing the Farmington Police Department, claiming they violated her civil rights during a traffic stop back in April because of an expired registration. She says the police department does not have authority over her as an independent, sovereign citizen of Utah. A retired FBI agent told us that that line of thinking may have escalated things on Wednesday. When a law enforcement officer pulls you over, asks to see your driver's license,
18: trying to get you to identify yourself, something that simple, when you don't comply, um, the situation gets escalated.
17: We spoke with retired FBI 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 agent Greg Rogers today. He doesn't have anything to do with this case, but he spent years working undercover with those who belong to sovereign citizen groups who feel the law of the land doesn't apply to them.
18: And they would tell you it's an honest belief that they don't have to comply with um five meters, you know, field. commands given to them by law enforcement because they believe the government's uh, uh, corrupt now
17: and doesn't follow the Constitution. We only spoke with Rogers because today we learned Chase's mother, Diane Allen, had a pending lawsuit against Farmington police yeah. from when she was pulled over this past April. In her lawsuit, she claims police violated her civil rights when they pulled her over for an expired registration and had no authority to detain her because she says she is one of the sovereign people of Utah.
18: They really don't have any um, sort of idea of taking over the government or uh, starting a government of their own. It's um, they they would tell you they just want to be left alone.
8: So a little more detail the you know the, i think it's interesting that the mother had been pulled over for the exact same reason uh, and is in a, involved in a conflict with the local authorities
9: i think yeah, that, and then like, what did he not show his id then is that what he was doing and uh, that one cop said well that that'll get the situation escalated
8: right he he refused to show id and then they say they called for backup and it and then it just
9: unfolded from there. Um, there was a, a I think that the government is corrupt and doesn't follow the Constitution. Does that make me a sovereign citizen?
8: Well, if you start to ignore if you stop paying taxes and you ignore all authority, uh, all licensing, all of that, then you, I think you would be a sovereign citizen. Like I said, I have a lot of sympathy. For 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 their position, uh, however, th- that is not that is not what's at issue here. This is this is regardless of whether or not you have sympathy for their position, this gets even stranger. But before it does, let me let me, you know, I think an important thing to point out here is, well, and let's look at a little background of of, of Chase Allen. Chase Allen is not a thug. He's not like uh, what was the guy in Missouri? Uh, John was it Brown, something Brown. Mike Brown. What was mm-hmm. it? hands up, don't shoot? Who yeah. turns out was attacking the cop? Mm-hmm. He had attacked a, a store owner earlier in the day. That guy was a thug, and and brought upon himself what happened to him. This twenty five year old seems to be the polar opposite. I went looking to find out. Is this kid in some kind of trouble? Is he, you know, does he have a history? He appears to be an absolute model member of his community, Uh, uh, an all-around American poster boy.
16: With signs saying seven shots to the chest and demands for the release of body cam video, the group marched half a mile to the Farmington Police Station.
7: My brother Chase Lindy Allen did not deserve to die. He deserves to still be here and he is a sweet angel of God.
16: Those that knew him say Allen was reliable, respectful, and not one to antagonize. Chase was just a great guy, and there's leaving a hole in a lot of people's heart.
8: So one thing that that uh, happened at that protest because they want answers, they want to know what happened here. And uh, here's one of the. This was a really interesting moment at this protest, and I went looking for this on main on any uh local mainstream media outlets and i couldn't find this anywhere so it's, it's very interesting this was somebody on i don't know who this is they were unidentified um it might be a family member but i, I don't know it's certainly a community member
6: At blm this is not anifa our family our extended family was hurt by government <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you and we're not burning the buildings down we're not threatening anyone are you guys paying attention
8: She's talking to the uh, media cameras that are there.
6: Are you even going to post this?
9: Nope. No, not if you don't burn the building
8: down.
6: Police! We didn't burn down your city because you hurt one of our own, did we?
9: And you hit on it. That's why no one's talking about it. Yeah, that's what's required at this point. That's how corrupt the government is. Well, and that's because these corrupt. people deserve
8: it. I think that in our right. media and in our culture, there's a knee-jerk reaction that these people deserve it.
9: Mm-hmm. But that's how corrupt the government is. If you, if you want to get attention to an issue, pretty much what you're going to have to do.
8: Um, this retired Salt Lake City Police Chief, Chris Burbank, uh, makes a very good point. This was actually from... The AB, This is the tail end of the ABC News uh, this morning. Uh, uh, ABC News this morning report from earlier in this story, and um, uh, this this what he says sent chills down my spine. Let's see if it does the same to you.
3: The legislature has made it so easy to carry a firearm, whether in your vehicle or on your person. So it really gets down to not the fact that he had a gun. Did he point that in the direction
8: of the police officer? And the reason that's chilling to me is because I worry that the authorities are using the new, you know, the new uh, freedoms of our Second Amendment, which are, you know, in, in some some states, it's, it's a bit new. But, you know, they're just starting to pass uh, constitutional carry and you know, really opening up the laws to allow people to uh, uh, enjoy their Second Amendment, that the authorities are have have discovered a really great way to turn that against people. Uh, because they know you 're going to be carrying, and it makes it a lot easier for them to create the pretext by which to murder you right and uh, you, but uh, on the other hand though jeremy there's i think there 's something preventing them from really doing that, and that would be the body cams right I mean how are you going to frame somebody if you well, have if you have the body cams?
9: If they're working, if they're rolling, but it's the things have gotten so bad with police now. And I, like I said, I've argued before, I think police training. And this was something that back uh, years ago in Chicago, Gary McCarthy was the superintendent. And when they were passing concealed carry laws in Illinois and basically saying that, you know, you know what's going to happen is somebody's going to be pulling a phone out of their pocket and they're going to get shot the mentality of the police is to assume it's a gun and the mentality of the police is to shoot first and think later make sure they get home that night
8: uh yeah <laughs> But that may not even be what's going on, because what you're talking about is almost uh, is understandable. It's not acceptable, but it's understandable. When they're confronted with the same situations over and over and over again, it becomes wise to assume that the car you're walking up to is an occupant that has a gun. Uh, if you're in Chicago, that's a wise move. But yeah, that, so,
9: they, want, so they, want to use, they use that as an argument against the Second Amendment.
8: Well— uh, get ready because this story is about to get even stranger listen to this from local Fox 13 well, Kelly, we've spent all day trying to get somebody on the phone to help explain this because this is not something you hear very often on police scanners. Here's what you're about to listen to. First, the call that went out over the radio about four minutes after the shooting. Then, a second call about 20 minutes after the shooting. In the first transmission, they tell officers off scene to turn off their cameras. In the second one, they tell officers on scene to make sure they turned them off.
5: If you're off the
4: scene, you can go ahead and kill your body cam. Can we just make sure that all the body cams are shut off now?
0: 10 for all units on the Farmington incident, make sure your body cam shut off.
9: Oops. Yeah.
8: (laughs) So, why would you ever give that order? People who are off the site already know they can turn theirs off. That's in the written policy. The written policy is that you need to keep your camera on until you feel you're no longer on the scene. And then you can turn it off. I think they were afraid of of evidence being captured on those cameras, people discussing what it looked like. They didn't want anything incriminating later.
9: Oh, for sure.
8: Are you ready for, sure. for this story to get even crazier? Wow, you keep
9: laying it on me.
8: Yeah, this is now how absolutely insane it is. It isn't just that his mother was pulled over. Listen to this. What? This is from... Uh, her name is... Uh, Victoria, Her uh, she's a friend of the family and i and i can confirm this cuz i've seen her on videos of uh from the other from the protests so she's there with them um and uh her her youtube channel is victoria dor d o r if you want to go find her and she gives this little nugget of information that it would have been nice if anybody in the mainstream media had either picked up on or reported if they did pick up on it i'm not sure how they couldn't have have learned about this Listen to this.
16: One thing that to me is uh, concerning is that his mother was suing the, uh, a lot of the gov- local government officials because um, several months ago, nearly a year ago, um, her and her husband were both pulled over within 10 minutes of each other.
8: Excuse me? both her and her husband were pulled over within 10 minutes of each other. Yeah. Well, so I, I think I'm beginning to get a picture here. Listen to the rest of this.
16: By Farmington, uh, in, close to, in or close to Farmington, I, be, I believe Diane was pulled over by Farmington City Police, and her husband was also pulled over. And I thought that Diane Allen, um, she... I asked her, I says so, you know, it sounds suspicious to me that you would both be pulled over and she had already been talking to me that she felt like they were being watched. um, And sometimes it was unsettling to her in her home. And I asked her, well, why would they be watching you so closely, you know, you more than other people. And she told me. Uh, something I'm not going to divulge here. Um, that suffice it to say, if I know you, you can ask for more details if you would like, it's something that, um, the agendas, the powers that shouldn't be, that are trying to gain hold that are trying to, you know, um, undo our constitutional rights. It does have to do with upholding our constitutional rights. Um, something that their family is involved with may have already put them on a, on a special watch list.
9: Yeah. You think? Yeah. Well, that's a fact I've, I've had experience with law enforcement, uh, particularly watching sovereign citizens or people who claim to be sovereign citizens. And there are sovereign citizens who, uh, gum up the works in the court system they file lawsuits uh against elected officials and against local governments Yeah, well, when
8: they're both pulled over 10 minutes apart i think that's a good lawsuit to file i, I yeah, think you're i think right. you're probably right on the money that you're being harassed and that's a right
9: no and they do and they but what happens i think is that i think there are what as the one uh clip you played described for the most part they they just want to be left alone and they have a reasonable claim that the government isn't legitimate and they're not necessarily going to be going and breaking laws just leave them alone but they're going to insist on their rights and that their rights are maintained and there are others i think at least my understanding is that some try to fly the sovereign citizen flag and use it for as ways to not pay their mortgage or do certain other things and try to use the court system, you know, to work around certain obligations or agreements that they've made. And I don't know whether they have an actual uh, proper claim or not, uh, but they, because of this as a, as a whole, are targeted as no good nicks <laughs> right the mom's <laughs> you know. pulled over the dad's pulled over and now the kid is pulled over right and so if 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 her parents are sort of playing this role where they've been identified or flagged as people who claim to be sovereign citizens in this area then the local police have nothing else to do then that's a perfect couple for them to target and, and they know who, they know know who she is,
8: too, because she had, I saw a report where she had, uh, after being pulled over once, she had gone in to try and, and, and meet with the police chief to try and explain what her position was. They knew these people. These were not right. strangers. Right. So they decided, I think, to take a stand and confront these people. My gut's telling me that this is, this is a case of the government harassing sovereign citizens, and they likely murdered this young man. It'll be interesting to see what, what what comes of the body cam footage. I bet yeah. you that there is not a single frame of him pointing a gun at anybody. Right. His mom suing them. I mean, I think that they they murdered this kid. That's my that's my take on it. Yeah. I think that's what, gonna, a, that's what would, we're gonna. we're gonna I would
9: bet. I would bet he was in a in a situation where he was trying to defend. Uh, the rights he believed he was entitled to and i bet it probably turned into some sort of incident that the police were going to turn into him resisting or something like that he was probably trying to defend himself here is actually this is um, kind of amazing
8: this is there this is a report that came out of uh an organization that wants to defund police Yeah. I mean, this is a clear case of a, of, of, well, what is it a clear case of? It looks like a clear case of a, of suspicious police involvement in a shooting. And if this is your issue, how you don't get involved in this, it can only be bigotry and racism. That's this guy deserved it. Yep. And i just play this real quick to end on this. I found the absolutely most useless media report on this entire story. Are you ready? <laughs> this is almost laughable. This is from KUTV Channel 2. Uh, try to glean anything useful from this report i defy you you will never be able to
5: darby sparks went to the scene
8: darby sparks you're telling me that's her real name darby sparks that sounds like a disney character
16: darby sparks went to the scene today to find more information and darby neighbors say they actually heard
1: the shots Yeah, that's right. This post office actually
20: sits next to multiple homes and apartments, and I spoke with one person who lives nearby, and she said that it sounded like a box dropping. Meanwhile, another neighbor
1: said she knew exactly what it was, gunfire. I've heard gunshots before, and I immediately said, there's gunshots outside my window. A woman close to
8: Breaking news. (laughs) (laughs) A, A person who lives next to a shooting incident heard the shooting incident.
1: The scene said she heard multiple shots ring out simultaneously. I counted eight distinct shots. I think there were likely more, um, but they were happening so quickly. She told me she could tell more than one person was firing. I just knew it was—they were too close together for it to be one person doing all those shots.
8: Meanwhile, we already know this. We know it was more. It was a. It was like four or five police officers. This is not breaking news.
12: Is this a very strange occurrence? Oh, absolutely. Did you hear that? Is
8: this a very strange occurrence? No, it happens all the time. Seriously, Hillary, i want to boost that. I need to boost that volume. Let's listen to that again.
20: Is this a very strange occurrence? Oh, absolutely. Farmington police say that five officers have been pl- placed on leave pending further investigation. Until then, we don't have any more information. And
9: that's
8: the actual report.
9: <laughs> we don't have any information. Yeah, no. They don't need any information.
8: <laughs> so I went out and I got uh, quotes from people who, of course, were, since they were right there, heard the incident. <laughs> well, that's good news. I, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was amazing.
9: They could come and talk to me next. I heard their coverage. I could tell their <laughs> audience. I, I, heard their re- I heard their report. I I heard their report about shots being fired, and then, uh, yeah, it uh, doesn't happen all the time.
8: Yeah, so I think there's much more to that story. I'm going to keep my eyes open for updates. If our producers are paying attention, please keep your ears and eyes open for updates. I think there's going to be a lot more to learn about that, and we will probably have updates down the road.
9: Anybody in Utah, for sure, pay attention to that and uh, keep us informed.
8: Now, Jeremy, you know I like to
9: end the program on a lighter note. Like a Michelle Obama podcast clip? <laughs> <laughs> Not that light. A different light. <laughs>
8: that was good. Uh did you know that chicken is racial? No. Yeah, so I paid attention to this story because you know, in my mind, this is a massive distraction. This is this is the perfect story to distract people from the new cold war, from uh people dropping dead from strokes. This is much better. Chicken is racial. A DePaul University, uh, a school that I attended briefly,
13: uh,
8: briefly for three years. (laughs) I transferred out because I just did not want to graduate from DePaul University. Uh, And uh, so I was there. Uh, uh, DePaul University alumna and Nevada State College professor. And her position is interdisciplinary gender and ethnic studies at the Nevada State College, Erica Abad gave a presentation to other DePaul alumni on colorism, the notion that minority groups discriminate against each other based on how dark their skin is. Or or how dark their their chicken meat is. I mean, uh, oh, I said I mean again. Give me the siren. Well, that's okay.
9: Give as it long to as me. You don't
8: say. Okay. I know that uh, cruise director Barb doesn't want us uh, harping on these issues, but it's the only way I'm going to stop saying things like "I mean" and
9: "Okay." Thank you. Okay. There you're, it is. You're, you're, I wasn't going to do it, but yeah, no. I need to set it. it again. I needed it. Okay. So
8: now you're supposed to do it again. <laughs> uh, uh, the Uh, So Abad said in her early February presentation that even tastes and smells are racialized, including how we eat our chicken.
20: For me, the, the way I connect colorism to smell and taste is how specific foods and specific aromas and specific like perfumes, right? There are scripts associated with perfume that aren't just, Gendered but racialized, and in the same way, food can be as well, right? Like watermelon, how we eat our chicken, um, the level of salt in our food.
9: Okay, She's I was would... very deep and intellectual. Is it just me, or does she sound inebriated? She sounds like she doesn't have a very good point to make. I like my chicken with curry sometimes. What does that mean? Ooh, well, it depends on the curry. <laughs>
8: if you're if you're eating yellow curry, that's one region and socioeconomic uh, class. If you're eating red curry, that is an entirely different socioeconomic class, and,
9: and oh, it's I important which green, one you are. Only eat green curry. Oh, only, only. only
8: green curry was the result of cultural appropriation by the Spanish. We can't. That's no, 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 no. You cannot eat green curry. <laughs> So I think she sounds inebriated. She keeps, you know, she keeps stroking her chin like she has a beard. You know, like when you have a beard and you stroke your chin because you're sort of stroking the beard, you kind of play with it. She's doing that, like, um, and I, you know, does she have a beard? No, she doesn't <laughs> at the moment. Maybe she. I mean, she really is stroking it like she has a beard, uh, and it's peculiar. And I've heard that people who are on uh, like opiates or, or uh, drugs like that, they'll like they'll touch their face a lot. Um, oh,
9: that's interesting.
8: And she, her voice sounds inebriated. She may not be inebriated; it may just be an affect of somebody who's a moron and has nothing intelligent to say. I think I've sounded inebriated in the past when I'm not. If you go back and listen to episode point one, I think there's a case to make. I'm I Are must be stroking on something your beard at the time, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so it it, it sounds. It sounds weird. Let me let me let me play this second clip Um, uh, because it she just just to give you an idea of just how crazy she is.
20: As many of us Chicago born and raised or even those of us who have lived in Chicago for a while, we can attest to how people's comfort with different cuisines is is either a byproduct of their access or a symptom of their insularity.
8: I just want to point out, this woman is as white as you or me. Didn't they get mad at Trump for
9: eating Taco Bell?
8: Well, that's because he's culturally appropriating people who can't afford anything more than Taco Bell. He's he's a tourist in their cultural trap.
9: They're saying it's racist to eat ethnic food, and Mm -hmm. it's culturally appropriating... Or it's racist to not eat ethnic food, but it's culturally appropriating to eat it.
8: Well, that's not what, what Erica is saying, if I can try and decipher uh, her point, is that uh, the choices people make for themselves are the result of uh, institutional racism and cultural racism and cultural appropriation that they don't have control over. And so the type of curry you eat will be driven by this institutional racism where other people who have more opportunity, more access to more cuisine, they'll, they'll have a wider uh, uh, palate. And, and therefore, it signals something even inside their own community. Because remember, she's talking about racism, uh, uh, racialism inside their own community because of institutional racism outside of the community. It's 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 hard to follow and it's awfully kooky. And again, I just want to point out because I think it's important. I'm just going to play the rest of what she has to say. The woman is as white as you or I. She is
2: white.
20: Um, and the way access and insularity are perceived by the greater public oftentimes get racialized in terms of if you haven't eaten this kind of food, it's a class and and by extension racial signifier of your access. Um, to institutions and cultural norms of power.
9: I picked up that sound drop just for her. I thought we weren't taking corporate sponsors. Why are you playing ads for DePaul University? (laughs) This is definitely
8: not the ad they think it is. (laughs) Yeah, I think that she is, this is very typical. I think that she is embarrassed about being white I think that she compensates for her white skin by creating this entire industry for herself, whereby she can critique whiteness and constructs of whiteness and and, uh,
9: white supremacy. After Um, hearing she's white, I'm now embarrassed for being white. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think that uh,
8: she'll fit right in. (laughs) We, we have white people have got their own pool of lunacy, <laughs> and, uh, just like every other group of people. And she uh, will fit right in, in the uh, on the island of misfit toys. Listen, I love her, um, uh, even though she's completely insane. Uh, if it was not for her, we would not have any way to end our program. And it's important that we have a way to end our program, don't you think?
9: I am uh, Glad couldn't get into that college I'm glad I could get out of that college how did you come out with half of a brain left over oh it's worse I went from DePaul directly into the
8: Art Institute of Chicago (laughs) where (laughs) it was a different brand of crazy it was a brand of crazy I could sort of relate to But I was definitely still... I went from being an outcast at DePaul to being an outcast at the Art Institute for polar opposite reasons. Well, At DePaul, I was way too uh, liberal, and at uh, the Art Institute, I was way too conservative. But I was still the same guy. Okay.
9: I don't know how you could be too liberal for
8: DePaul. Oh, well, this was back when I was a smoker. I used to smoke cigarettes. And this was right at the time when... Uh, DePaul banned smoking everywhere on campus. And oh, I was so were outraged. Rebel. I was were outraged. Rebel. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I made a whole video. It was one of my first videos. I burned a photograph.
9: I was very sacrilegious, Jeremy. I'm embarrassed to say No, don't talk about it if it's Well no, really bad. I bur- you
8: may not think it's sacrilegious. I burned a photograph of the of the religious leader of the of the school. I forget his name. A <laughs> father
9: uh and i did it for the
8: i did it for the shock value
9: it was very immature yeah you wouldn't want to do that now no
8: i definitely would not do that now i feel well i've 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 done things
9: i've done things that i regret yeah not proud
8: anyway i am proud of the truth bait podcast i'm very proud of episode five jeremy
9: i hope you are you probably could have used that video for a project when you got to the art institute. I, it, I think I used it to get into the art institute, right? And it's like, going to be the cold art. open on the next episode. Look at, <laughs> look at my art I created. Here.
8: Oh, he burned a picture of a Catholic. Get him in. Let's get let's get him some tuition money. Yeah,
9: <laughs> scholarship. It'd probably be a good way to get into like some sort of writing school now, like burning burning books or something. Some sort of art form, some sort of new art form to uh, push the boundaries.
8: All right, well, thank you, everybody. Thank you to all of our producers. Thank you to our, uh, thank you to uh, Cruise Director Barb, to Bev in Florida.
9: The mama bear.
8: The mama bear. And have a fantastic week, everybody. But now it is time for you all to go back to the sea of clickbait. And I said it wrong. And now back to the sea of clickbait with you all.